Hey! We be live. Yes. Who do we have here? We have Gustav, we have Gray, Jeddy, we have Kenji, we have Ghost Bunny, we have Goddess Katie, we have AGA, we have Awesome. Yay! Hi, everyone. We're, yes, people. we're live here on Atheist Republic on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. And we're going to be covering the news. And we have 10 news items, um, like every week, to cover. Susanna is the person who picks the news that we're going to cover. Um, and we're going to give you our commentary on it. And also, if you have any interesting comments in the live chat, we might highlight them. Mm -hmm. So if we don't mm -hmm. highlight them, that means your comment was crap and not worthy of highlighting. <laughs> Actually, it's worth saying that. <laughs> it drives me crazy when people are like, you didn't read my comment. You didn't read my comment. Maybe it wasn't worth saying. <laughs> no, no. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes, don't, sometimes like, we do. But a lot of times I'm like, this is Sometimes we see it and we're like, nah, nah. Not really. <laughs> We love our community so we much. Do. We, we do. We actually do. We attack them all the time. Uh, <laughs> you on the attack. Okay. okay. Of course, you made me so red, like right into the beginning of the show. Wait, what okay. microphone have you selected? Can you tap your microphone? Because it seems your, your audio is crap today. Yes, that's not the mic that has been selected. That is not the mic. Oh. What? No, that's not. Yes, the it is. Tap it again. Nope, that's not the mic that has been selected. Your audio seems like you're coming out of it like a. Let's. I'm like gonna read before the stream. Yes. Is this a crappy comment? Literally, yes. There's a poop emoji there. Oh. <laughs> All right. Momento Mori, yes, Momento Mori. Oh. All right, Suze. Is it better? No, it's same. Crap audio. We can't get started until you fix your mic. I'm just gonna. But look everything at the... says that it's the tap, tap it. No. Huh? There we go. You fixed it. Okay, that's bizarre. It was... <laughs> See, guys, I'll, I'll fix things. Right? You know, look at the audio quality now. Look oh, at the you audio... fix things. What were we yeah. talking about before the stream? Yeah. Look at our audio quality. Just got perfect, right? See? Okay. Make sure that doesn't happen again. Because, because if I hadn't noticed, that would all the 10 news items that we cover would have become crappy audio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? All right. Let's do. Yes. Yeah, see? Ghost Bunny agrees. Why does Susie always seem to have issues? Even Ghost Bunny, who is our, the sweetest person in our live chat, even she is like attacking you with that's me. That's how I know it's bad. <laughs> that's that's how you know it's bad, right? Oh, right. wait, this is a cute comment. I like this. I love you guys yeah. so much. Big love from Algeria. Oh, hey. big love back. Big okay, love. Anyways, anyways. Um, let's get to the news. Oh. Yes. Wait, no. That's not right. There. There we go. So, um, we, before we, before, first of all, can we clap? No, we can't clap. Right? I guess not. No. No. But also, this video, or, or should I be, am I able to play it or is that going to be like unfriendly for YouTube? Um, 
I don't I think, it, think so. I think it's fine. All right. Wait, first news. Go. Okay. First news. Muslim YouTuber Mufti Abu Late's home invaded over views on Palestine. So I could talk about this news literally for an hour straight. This is a big thing that happened this past week. So in the Birmingham, the Birmingham, in Birmingham, uh, the United Kingdom, on May 17th, prominent YouTuber and Muslim theologian Mufti Abu Late's home in Birmingham was attacked by a masked mob wearing waving Palestinian flags. The attack arose from controversial comments that Abu Laith had made many months before regarding the plight of Palestinians living under Israeli rule, where he suggested that migrating out of the land may be a solution to save human lives, among other things, which we will discuss. These comments resurfaced and were highlighted in light of the recent war between Israel and Gaza. The assault on his home can be seen in an online video released by one of the mob members and allegedly posted to WhatsApp. In the video, the mob can be seen throwing rocks and then breaking into his home in the early hours of the morning. As the men entered the home, the mob can be heard yelling about how Abu Laith had disrespected Palestine. Abu Laith firmly identifies as a Palestine supporter. Even though his family was unhurt, this incident left his young daughter traumatized. This attack was reported to the West Midland police and the unit is investigating the situation. Okay, I'm going to play the video this time with audio just so you guys see how intense the whole situation was. So basically the su the summary is that this guy he, he is he's pro-Palestine, anti-Israel. However, he's like a reformist uh, mufti and his takes are a lot different from most average mainstream Muslims right to say the least um, I'm not going to go into details but the things like he, ha he has said so many other things that has made especially these more conservative Muslims very angry but this mm -hmm. was like a red line for them when he said that um, the Palestinian cause is basically we've uh, lost. lost Israel won yes. like, Israel give it up now it's about saving human lives yeah, let, let me just finish my Sorry. what I'm saying. Um, basically saying that the Palestinian it's better just for the Palestinians to just leave Israel, right? Um, to just leave um, and just go find home somewhere else. And they like that was like a major red line for people and people the, for the for these Muslims. Okay, and this and they attacked his ha house. So let's actually watch the video. Let me actually unmute. There we go. Let me so let me know if you have audio. Okay. Yo, this is for that dirty dog, Abu Late, who disrespect our brothers and sisters of Palestine. Yeah. Wow. Come on, you mother! Come on, you mother! Yo, where the? Anyways, yeah, that was that's kind of scary, especially if you have your family living there. Like he has two daughters. Imagine like aggressive men yelling like this, breaking stuff, coming at your house, and you know you have your children there. Yeah. So, um, 
my understanding is that he wasn't home then. It was just like his wife and at least one of his daughters. Wow. Um, that's, that's even worse. I wish I was, you know, imagine hearing about it and not even being there to defend them. Yeah. yeah. Like really today I was, well, there's a lot I could get into. I could talk about this alone for like an hour. Um, yeah. So his comments, one thing that he said in particular, because I went to watch his comments um, right before this stream so that I could very remember very specifically what he said. One thing that he said that really pissed people off the wrong way was the comments that were highlighted that led to this. He had actually made these comments months ago around the time that the UAE normalized relationships with Israel with the so-called Abraham Accords. And then they just came back and were um surfaced you know in light of the recent war um and i am calling it a war so he he used specific words when he was talking about one admitting or claiming that palestine was lost that israel's won that itself is highly controversial that itself is going to get massive backlash and he was saying these things like very casually which surprised me. And he also used the words um, exile, like Palestinians should be exiled from the West Bank, uh, Gaza, historical Palestine, or what some people call Palestine 48. Um, and th it was this use of this word exile, when I think he was intending to say exodus, that really pissed off a lot of people. Because like, I don't know if it matters. Like a lot of people are trying to say, like, well, that's not what he meant. He meant this. They took him out of context. But to me, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. All of this seems to me suggests that well, if he actually meant those things that people say he did, that it ju somehow justifies this attack. Like, does it really matter? Well, um, what, I like, no, like just. I mean, does it really matter if he was like, like he, he even even Mufti Abulay's apology, like not apology, uh, his video coming out and defending himself was like, I never said these things. I am pro Palestine. I'm against Israel. Um, people accuse me of not being a Muslim. I'm I'm a re I'm not a kafir. I'm not an unbeliever. I'm a Muslim. These people are misrepresenting me. I mean, like. Dude, they attack your house with your children and your wife and children there. Like, so even if those were your actual views, this is like not the point. Your views are not the point. They attack your house, right? They attack your house. I mean, what, is, what does it mean? Like people are like, oh, no, those are not his views. Wait, so you're saying that if those were his views, then these people would be a bit more justified to attack him, right? Or people say, like, even Mufti Abu Leh, he himself is like, I'm not a kafir, I'm a, I'm a Muslim. And he said, he said he did the shahada, like, after this attack, he came and said, like, here, I'm good. I'm, he did the shahada to show like that he's three a Muslim. Times. Three, yeah, and I'm like, what are you talking about? So wait, so you're saying that if these people are right, and you're actually a mortad, and you actually have left Islam, that would somehow make this attack more justified? So what? So they should attack us instead of you? Like, I'm, he's like, I'm not a kafir. Oh, okay. So the attack was not justified. These people should have attacked our houses because we are the kafirs. 
Like, I don't understand the defense. I mean, I'm not trying to, like, dismiss how much he's in, under stress and his family's under stress. All of this is, like, really bad. But can you focus on what the, what, what the crime here is? The crime is not that they took you out of context. The crime is that they attacked you. Anyways, you have your hands up. Well, you're kind of getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I just wanted to lay out what his views are to the audience, but I'm completely on the same board with you and same attitude. Exactly. That like his views are irrelevant to this attack being something that should be completely condemned, you know, but I just wanted to lay out for people who are unaware, like what he said, where the controversy came in. What Armin is referring to is how after this attack happened, Mufti Abu Layth put out a video on his YouTube channel just titled like They Invaded My Home, where he talks about this situation. And very, very early on in the video, he moves from like describing what happened, the effect it had on his family to trying to clarify and justify his views. And like Armin just highlighted in ways that we interpreted as saying like, cause he talks about how he, um, he it's his opinion that Israel is a terrorist state. Um, I use that word for the YouTube algorithm. I'm sure you know what I mean. Um, you know, he lays out that I'm, I am a Muslim. He says the Shahada like three times in that video. And to an outsider like us, we were like, well, what if you, what if you did support Israel? Like, does that make this okay? Um, and I mean, I kind of wanted to talk about some of the other really controversial things he said in a few videos about Israel and Palestine. Like he talks about how um, Jerusalem isn't that holy or isn't that sacred to him. Like, Al-Aqsa Mosque, like, isn't that holy. It's like, he, he basically was trying to say, you know, we shouldn't die over this land. We shouldn't have our Muslim brothers and sisters die over this land, this bricks and mortar, when for us, like, Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem is the third holiest site in Islam. Like, for Jews, it's the first holiest. Like, they're not going to treat it poorly. And he says this so casually and the way that other people reacted to this was so strongly and like, I, <laughs> cause Armin and I watch a lot of people, including people who very, very strongly disagree with Mufti Abu Layth, refute him. And they were so upset by his, inference that al-aqsa is not holy is not is not what a super sacred site for islam and should be defended but before we get into what they would say i thought his argument that they they're not going to treat it like a toilet to use his words like they're going to take care of it was a little ill-educated because a lot of people like if you're not familiar like the um the wailing wall is like part of it, it's like down here and it's the last wall standing from the sacred temple jewish temple and then like on top of this like kind of compound areas where al-aqsa mosque is well for super orthodox jewish people like it is 
and I'm not speaking for everyone, it is their intention that they will one day rebuild that temple. To do that, they're going to have to get rid of that mosque. So I feel like he didn't understand maybe that full context, but Armin, I feel like you would probably have some interesting comments about I, I, how I get out of out of touch, I guess, his yes. attitude is in comparison to others. I mean, yeah, Mufti Abu Layth's views on Islam are I don't know what they, what they what I don't know what his views are, but he's so out of touch with what mainstream Islam like he's he's his interpretations on scripture and the hadith from the Quran is so flexible that you could get the same interpretation out of Greenigs and Ham if you wanted to, if you were that flexible with how you you could interpret interpret the Quran and the Hadith. Like he just he just has a conclusion in mind and then he takes the Quran and Hadith and he comes he gets conclusions out of it that are so wacky. They're so wacky. They have nothing to do. And he calls himself a Mufti. I mean um it's just the only way that his views can become somewhat popular is with attacks like this right like i mean honestly like there is no chance his he he's like i don't know his, his views are so out of touch with mainstream islam and there is no way that you could get this kind of conclusions out of it. like the thing is that unfortunately like when the salafi muslims when they come and t show muslims how he's wrong about islam and about scripture I mean, they're right. To be honest, like it's so obviously that it's so obvious that they're right. Um, let me just, yeah. So I don't know, but again, I don't know if none of this is just. I, I shouldn't even say it because it's obvious. But yeah, to your point, when he said like, "Oh yeah, if Muslims leave Israel, they're going to be treating this whole area very nicely." Because it's their number one holy site, so don't worry about it. Like, no, they're going. Yeah, it is their number one holy site, but the mosque and the dome of the rock is blocking their the <laughs> construction of their temple. So if there's no if there's no Palestinians there, they're just gonna go and tear apart the mosque and the dome of the rock so that they could finish building the temple. So. Just because it's their number one holy place, that doesn't mean they're going to not destroy anything. Obviously, they don't want the mosque there. They don't want the Dome of the Rock. They don't want the Al-Aqsa Mosque and also the Dome of the Rock there. So they're going to get rid of that. So I don't know. like how He's so out of touch with politics. He's so out of touch with Islam. And he's so out of touch with the Ummah. Like, he doesn't even know. Like, he sometimes, like, when people get back, react to his takes, like, he says something, and I'm like, oof. That is going to get a reaction. And then he gets a reaction. Not this kind of reaction. Like, obviously, this is not to be expected. But, like, even when people get offended, he comes and he's like, he gets shocked that people are offended. And, like, how out of touch do you have to be with the Muslim community not to know that this is not going to get a reaction? This is why I, here, here's Mufti, Mufti Abu Layth. Let me tell you. When you came out and said that maybe, like when the video came uh, when came to surface, uh, that um, Muslims were reviewing the fact that you're saying Palestinians have to leave Israel, I knew that this is going to get a reaction more than usual, and I suspected 
that this reaction is going to be so strong that these people that are telling that are pointing out how bad your take is they will probably have to remove the video because of the consequences of the videos that they put up so i downloaded those videos right this is how much i'm in touch with the muslim community and they did take down those videos they attacked your house and then they eventually had to take down those videos so if you if mufti if you i'm here for you if you ever want to get like maybe understand the muslim community a little bit better i as an ex-muslim atheist can teach you a little bit more about the Muslim community and what to expect because you seem to be completely out of touch, right? And also, you need better security at your house. Like, seriously, um, one thing I suggest is one of those security bars on the windows. Like, I, with somebody, with, like, you live in Europe's uh, Pakistan right now, right? You are in Birmingham and you have the wildest take that's not a safe area for you to like when i saw people just walk up to your house and the windows are so easily accessible i like what are you doing man like you don't know like you do, do you know where you live and have you not seen your takes like you need to get you need to go on on amazon.uk or something or i don't know go somewhere and you need to get one of those those bars that you install on the windows the metal bars right and you need to fortify your doors. Like that was so easy to get into your house. How could you not like be like for the sake of your family, man, do have better security on your house. I hope you have like CCTV and everything everywhere on your house as well. Like I hope like, I don't know. Like I hope they you will have, now. Like, they will I now. Mean, if you didn't have, if you didn't by now, that's amazing. That's a, a very irresponsible given what you given your takes and given where you live. If you have don't have that kind of security at your house, it's very irresponsible to your family. Like you better, like I hope you already had that and you have footage right now to share with the police. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that reminds me. Um, I think I uh, well, that's what that's one thing I when this happened, it shocked me. And we were talking to Ali Rizvi about this, and he was like, I can only imagine this happening, maybe not only, but like this makes sense to me that this happened in England. You know, like I can't imagine something like this happening in the United States. I, I would think they would be highly unlikely. We don't really have that kind of attitude here. Like, but this happening in the UK, it seems on par or even in Western Europe, like there's just this difference in culture where there's this real intensity to it that is shocking. Like watching the video, my heart just sank. Like it's everyone's worst nightmare. And just to hear like these women or girls screaming in the background, it's horrifying. So yeah, even though, you know, we, Armin, and I personally disagree with some of the ways that uh, Mufti Abulaith maybe came out and like explained himself, so to speak, after this happened or the way that it happened. Obviously, like we're horrified for him. We want the best for him and healing for his his children. When Hara Sultan made the video about it and um, showed pictures of his daughter, like it, I almost cried. Makes me mm. so upset. Yeah. 
Well, to be fair, you you it's easy to make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, <laughs> but you didn't have to do that to me. <laughs> I know I didn't have to. That's what makes it even better. <gasps> uh, <laughs> all right. Um. Anyways, Mufti, if you ever want to Mufti Abulaith, if you ever want to talk to us. Um, or if you're scared of me because you know you can't, you know, maybe have Susanna on. Um, yeah, I'm very friendly. <laughs> yeah, Susanna is more friendly than me. All right, cool. Um, can we clap for the next one? Um, it's controversial. Let's just clap next and we'll news. walk through it. Okay, next, next news. news. <laughs> Circumcision could be banned by anti transgender. Alabama bill. So this is one of those instances where <laughs> I think I said in the group chat to the team, something along the lines of like, uh, when you're so wrong that you're accidentally right. <laughs> 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 like you did a whoopsies. Um, cause you did something that I yeah. AG, I say it's so many mixed feelings on this one. So you did something that I completely oppose, but it may accidentally lead to something that I support. <laughs> I wish it. At, at, <laughs> so we're just going to treat this a little bit more. Humorously. Okay. Tell us what happened. I don't even know what happened. Okay. First. Yeah. In March, 2021, the state Senate of Alabama, uh, sponsored, uh, a bill sponsored by Republican Senator Shea uh, Shellnut voted to criminalize criminalize gender affirming treatment for transgender youth. Based on the Alabama chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, the bill could also unintentionally outlaw routine infant male circumcisions. Executive Director Linda Lee said that members became concerned about the language regarding, quote, removing any healthy or non-diseased body part or tissue, uh, end quote, under the list of prevented treatments. Executive Director of Shabbat of Alabama, Rabbi Yossi Friedman, said that the ritual circumcision is one of the oldest Jewish traditions. He also added that he would go to jail because the law cannot stop him from practicing Judaism. Friedman expressed that the, the concerns about the medical treatment of transgender youth should be addressed outside the legal system. Wait, so I'm confused. Um, what was the original intent? So the original intent is that you cannot, what we would call gender affirming care or health care, you cannot help minors transition their gender or their gender expression but, medically okay um and the specific language that is used and this would be regarding most likely like double mastectomy for people who are like trans male uh, trans trans men um saying it it's it has language saying that you cannot remove any healthier non-diseased body part or tissue from a minor. Well, foreskin of an infant, it, except in, you know, more rare circumstances, are healthy and non-diseased body parts or tissues. Yeah, I actually support this because here's the thing. But, but You know what? This might be actually a sneaky way to get 
Because here's the thing, because transgender, like when it comes to minors, right? We don't like they don't right now the solution to that, right? Right for for um, is not what what people what experts propose is not transitioning, but it's just hormone blockers so that they get to choose to transition as adults without going through puberty, right? So they get puberty blockers, right? You're not no, this criminalizes. Puberty blockers, puberty blockers as well? Yeah. No, you just said removing healthy tissue and stuff So like that. No, that pertains to the circumcision part. The overall ban on trans, trans um, gender-affirming healthcare for transgender youth Wait, contains a multitude against, of things. Oh, this is against puberty blockers as well? Yes. Okay. So but that, there is no, a part, there's a, a part of the legislation that mm -hmm, could mm -hmm. be interpreted to also ban circumcision mm -hmm. because it's okay, not so, specified clearly. But this, okay. Okay. So I don't, so I don't support this. However, this could give us an idea. Okay. You could sneak in an anti-circumcision bill by pretending that it's something else. Right. So you could like, just be like, we're against removing healthy tissues from minors, right? That's, that should be a bill, just that, okay? That won't, that won't ban puberty blockers, right? But then you could sell it, sell it to people as like, ah, we're not, we're not going to let them chop off our little like kids and stuff, blah, 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 right? And be like, yes, this is good. The liberals are going like, the leftists are going crazy. They're doing things to our kids that we shouldn't be allowed. But then once it gets passed, well, I mean, the you know, removing healthy tissues wasn't part of the solution for trans, you know, transgender kids anyways. It's puberty blockers. Um, so it was actually an anti-circumcision bill in in disguise. <laughs> that should, <laughs> it was an anti-circumcision bill in disguise, um, but it was sold as if it was an anti-transgender uh, you know, stuff. What do you well, think? Well, I think using that rhetoric to whip up that sentiment is a horrible idea that yeah, will I'm, I'm adversely not, not being, affect the transgender community. I know. I'm not I'm not being actually like 100% serious. Like, you know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> not 100%. <laughs> there is some not, percent. <laughs> the surgery is part. Okay, so Katie is saying the surgery is. It, it was anti-circumcision all along. <laughs> No, then you have to have the mean. It always has been. Like, you know, we shouldn't mean yeah. the thing. Okay, don't do this, but make... Okay, here's, here's my suggestion. Don't actually do this in real practice, but make a movie out of what I said, okay? Make that a... Don't make it a law, but make it a movie, okay? I think it's funny. Um, anyways, but yeah, I mean, at, at least what we could get out of this is pointing out like the hypocrisy. Okay. So this shouldn't get passed because it's also against anti-hormone, against hormone blockers. Uh, it, you know, so that's bad, but it should be used. Anyways, I'm hearing echo. It should be used as a way to point to hypocrisy 
where people say like, don't do this to children. Oh, children, our children, our children. And we have normalized the most barbaric, you know, practice torturing children's genitals, boys, especially genitals. That has become the most normalized things, right? Normalized thing in, 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 you know, across the world. Like people don't even, this is so barbaric, so disgusting, so inhumane, so such a big human rights violation where we are actually torturing babies, defenseless babies all across the world. And people don't see how much worse that is compared to like hormone blockers. What the hell? Like, you know, like, how is how do you not see this? If you want to defend children, then stop circumcision. Like, think about how much these people would be panicking if circumcision was not the norm. And all of a sudden, people were coming out and suggesting, like, hey, we, our ideology thinks that we have to go chop-chop at the genitals as soon as the kids are born. The entire world will go mad and, like, have a response to, like, the response to this would be, like, anybody suggesting... Uh, that this should be allowed, it would be a political suicide for them, right? Nobody would ever like, but this has become such a norm that nobody even questions it. I mean, not nobody, but so many people don't even question it. Yeah, like, I mean, compare this, right? So first of all, people who don't understand, uh, like people who say that we shouldn't give puberty blockers to children because they don't, they don't get to choose, they don't understand that puberty. We, we we give puberty blockers to children exactly because they don't get, get to choose, right? Because you want to delay, because nature is going to force um, puberty on them before they get to decide that hey, I'm actually trans. I shouldn't have gone through puberty, and you want to delay that process. So when as an adult they could make a choice, exactly. That's the whole point. Because they're children and they can't make a choice, you're delaying the process so that they could make the decision as an adult. That's the whole point of the pu of puberty blockers. And then also when people say like, oh, no medical decisions should be made on children. First of all, medical decisions is made on children all the time. Um, I don't, you know, like children that have psychological issues, they, they, they are like, that has nothing to do with gender dysphoria they're, con they're constantly like adults make decisions for them and they put them under medication on so many other things. I don't understand why this is different. Right. And people say, some people say, no, well, this is like a, um, and a cosmetic thing. Uh, those are actually health concern things. First of all, it's not gender dysphoria is a legitimate medical condition that needs to be treated. Um, and so first that second of all, even if it was cosmetic, it may, like we still make decisions for children on cosmetic issues. It's not just cosmetic, but imagine like a children that has deformed face, like her, like let's say a child, a child that is born that her lips are like I a don't cleft know, palate. Yeah, exactly. They don't wait for for them to become adults to fix that for them. They make those medical decisions, even if it's purely cosmetic. They know that having being you know, growing up like that is going to have a psych major psychological impacts on them. So adults do make decisions for children like that to fix that for them. The medical decisions that should be stopped that has no benefit for most, for 99% of the kid babies, uh, well, even more actually, um, and is absolutely painful and it's actually should be a crime. 
and it's one of the greatest human rights violations of our of our time is circumcision. All the reasons why these people think that they're against treating children that might have gender dysphoria, all these arguments actually should, if they actually consistent about it, and if they want to save children, it does apply to circumcision. And this is a great way to highlight that. Anyways. No, that was a very good point, actually. Um, and so, and there was the... Um, language that I mentioned earlier about quote, removing any healthy or non-disease part of our body part or tissue. And then there's another section of the bill that prohibits a list of treatments. If, if performed to quote, alter the appearance of, or affirm the minor's perception of his or her sex. So clearly circumcision alters the appearance of someone's sex. Like there's physical sexual genitals. Um, so it's, it's so, I, I hope this raise into the, one of the problems I have is that as soon as people started to bring this to, um, the attention of legislators, they're like, oh, we're, we're going to basically change the, um, the language a little bit. Um, but apparently like they already changed it and it didn't fully fix the problem of potentially outlying circumcision. Um, but I just wanted to touch on this rabbi for a second who was just like so hardcore about this. Cause they were asked like, okay, if this law was passed, what would happen? He says, I'm going to go to jail. That's what's going to happen because I'm not going to stop practicing my Judaism. Like I can't yeah, well, believe being that committed. I'm okay with that. He said, I'm okay with that guy. He says he's willing to go to jail. Yeah, make yeah. it legal and go to jail. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> That's, fine. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm completely support him. Just no, I'm just talking about already. his mentality, though. I know, like, I know. Being that kidding. committed to mutilating infant I think we should misses. just arrest a man and put him to jail before he does it because he clearly is saying that he's going to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, one day the whole world is going to look back and the fact that we mutilated so many babies, they're going to look back in horror and wonder why people just let it happen. It just makes me so frustrated because he's talking about like the loss of all these children being raised without their, you know, religious or traditional practices. Like some traditional practices should be abolished point mm. blank. I don't care what culture you come from. Like I was watching this video of some, um, tribe in Africa where they would weave these baskets around these babies heads so that Ooh. their heads become shaped a certain way. And I was watching this baby sob crying in so much pain while his mom is weaving this basket, completely constricting its skull. And like it was outlawed by Belgium. And obviously Belgium did horrible things in the region, but yeah. This was like an Afrocentric YouTube channel, and even people in the YouTube comments were like, "I'm super glad that that was banned. Like, this is horrific. Like, the okay. baby literally passes out from how much pain they're in. Like, we don't need all these traditions." Like, <laughs> but here's an interesting thing: how is that? How is it that most people see that that should be banned? But if you do that to a kid's head, people are like, "Whoa, that's but oh my god, look at these Africans being so barbaric." But us American, we're doing it to your to the kids' genitals. And that's somehow not barbaric. If you like, oh yeah, yeah these yeah. are Africa. You're like, what? you're worse. You're worse. You're worse than that. 
How do you not see that you're like, oh, let's ban that, okay? How do you not do that? <laughs> oh, God. How do you not see that what you're doing to your own kids in America, in these advanced countries, is worse than those what Africans are doing to the, the, their kids' heads? I don't know. How is this so not, how is this not obvious? It's amazing. By the way, I just want to ask, I, I put this on dark mode. Is this better or like, which one is better? This one or this one? People, tell me. I'll let the live chat decide because I'm dark mode. I'm hashtag dark mode all day. Okay, Katie. Katie is saying, imagine if there were still practicing Aztecs today who wanted to behead people and roll the head down the pyramid stairs saying that that is is their tradition. Or Hindus still practice sati. For those who don't know, that's basically like setting a woman on fire. Um, Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can guarantee that there are people who are like hardcore cultural relativists who would be like, yeah, we've got to let them do that. Who are we? Oh, is saying the American medical field is incinerating the reputation on maintaining the continued legal status of circumcision. Yeah. And a woman in this article who um, is part of the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, like maintained. Oh, yeah. The American Academy of Pediatrics said that the benefits of circumcision outweigh the risks. What? Yeah. Yeah. No, we have the science on this is pretty clear. There is, yeah, there's very few cases where it makes sense to do this. Just do it for them only. Yeah, but coming from the American Academy of Pediatrics, that's like the professional board of that field. Like that horrified me. I really hope that there are people who are lobbying. You know, politics is involved where the entire world disagrees with your, your country's takes. You know what I mean? Like the entire professional. Anyways. And it looks like the live chat has voted for dark mode. Yes. Music guy saying dark like my soul, Armin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. Can we clap for the next news? Um yes. Next news. Next news. Human rights. Oh, sorry. Next news, full-blown boycott pushed for the Beijing 2022 Olympics. Yay. So, human rights groups have called for a full boycott of the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing due to China's rights, uh, human rights abuses against ethnic and religious minorities. China has been under constant, constant scrutiny by the international community for its reputation of repression of Tibetans, tensions in Hong Kong, and the ongoing Uyghur genocide, which the ruling party vehemently denies. The Winter Olympics are scheduled to begin on February 4th, 2022. Uh, Ladon Tathong of the Tibet Action Institute said in an interview with the Associated Press that, quote, the time for talking with the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, is over and highlighted that in response to objections to the previous Olympics in China held in uh, 2008, the IOC said that hosting the event would help improve human rights in the country. Several activist groups have called on the Winter Olympics to be set somewhere other than China. 
Tethong recommended that activists lobby the IOC's top sponsors who generate about 40% of all IOC revenue. Hmm. What are you using? Oh, what has Pelosi got to do with this? Oh. Uh, she was calling for a boycott as well. Wow. What happened to the Trump, you know, Trump supporters telling us that this administration, the Democrats are going to be soft on China? Look, this is Pelosi calls for a boycott of the Beijing Winter Olympics, which means the boycott has bipartisan consensus. This is a tight slap on the face of CCP, uh, slap on the CCP face indeed. Yeah, what happened? Like Biden keeps on becoming more and more aggressive on the on CCP. I was I, I was told that this by the Democrats are a puppet of the CCP. I don't know what's what's going on, Suze. What's going on, Suze? What happened to all this people like wait, Armin? You'll see, you'll see. B- Beijing Biden is going to bend over backwards for the CCP. Like I don't see it. I don't see it. Do you see it? Maybe it'll happen. Maybe well, it'll I mean, happen. they would maybe say like it's all talk. We want action. Mm. So. I think that's how they would reply. But um, I thought that this was very interesting to highlight. Now, this is something I personally fully support, um, a boycott of the Olympics in Beijing. Um, I think it's a really complicated issue. So the International Olympics Committee, or IOC, like when they've been faced with really heavy criticism um, for this, but they respond that like we're not a governing party like we don't or we're we're not a political organization crap like we're not a political party like they basically say we're a sports organization bull crap olympics is all about politics yeah it's about the image of a country it's a it's the, the entire reason why countries fund their Olympics teams is because of the marketing and the branding of their country, okay? It's about representing what the country stands for and all its values and all that, that stuff. This is complete, and especially China. From all the countries in the world, like when it comes to private institutions, so-called private institutions being PR departments for the government, China is the country that you see that the most, even the most, you know, so-called independent organization and private institutions, their number one mission, mission two is to make profit. Mission one is to promote the glory of the CCP. Okay. That's mission mm-hmm. one. If you're mm-hmm. an entity in China, I don't care if you're a government institution or not. Mission one is to do, to, promote the ccp okay assume that until unless proven otherwise okay well no, this is the, <laughs> right. i think um i don't know how many people like remember the 2008 olympics but i remember that very strongly i mean i was pretty young but the opening ceremony like where yeah. they had because it happened in 2008 they had like 2008 drummers in this field in perfect in in perfectly in sync with each other you know and a lot of the opening ceremony to me and this is true for like many countries but i felt as a child like the the certain aspects of this opening ceremony was to show like the the united strength 
of China. And I think that this um, activist who the Associated Press was interviewing about this issue um, uh, from the Tibet Action Institute, um, or something like that, the point that she made that was so good was that um, this is what they said last time. In 2008, Ooh. over 10 years ago, the Olympic uh, Committee argued that, no, we should, because there were still major protests back then, because especially the issue with Tibet has been ongoing for decades, right? So um, they argued, oh, well, us holding the Olympics in Beijing will actually help with China's human rights record. It'll, I like, it'll encourage them to be better about their human rights, to encourage probably more um, like trade. I don't know. I don't know the full argument, but they did argue that it would make the situation better. And this activist in response was saying, um, literally, it's only gotten so much worse in China since 2008. Yeah. It's gotten so much worse. So like, what's your excuse now? That's not a good justification any longer. Um, now, uh, I this is kind of a criticism, but kind of not. Personally, I don't think um, that the, uh, I think it's a good thing to lobby for. It's a good thing to lobby for. Um, holding the Olympics in a different country. Okay, like don't hold them in China. I think that's a good thing to lobby for. I don't think that's something that's going to happen. Billions of dollars go into this, right? Like where are they suddenly, like unless they maybe go to a previous country where they held Winter Olympics, it takes years to plan for the Olympics happening in your country, in your city. So much infrastructure. Like where are they going to shift it to in the span of one year? It, I feel like that's not going to happen. Now, however, as an activist, I don't think that that's a bad thing to lobby for. You want to lobby for as much as you can possibly get, right? You want to lobby hard. You're not going to settle for less. Do I think it's likely that they're going to be held elsewhere? No. But it, I think it is something worthwhile to fight for because you'll probably win other successions. Uh, successions? Yeah, I think that's what I mean. Um, Along the way. Um. Or what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a all very good point. I, I want to also, talk, before we move to the next news, um, ask you, what do you think about the fact that, I actually don't know if it's a fact, but the boycotts against um, Israel's government for the way they treat the Palestinians have been a lot more successful uh, than boycotts against uh, China on the way that they treat um, their Muslim population. Um, like if i mean maybe maybe it's because it hasn't the movement hasn't a lot of people like oh china it did these boycotts will not have an impact it doesn't matter i don't think that is true i mean just because um it's not a binary thing like people think like if you complete don't completely def defeat china or some chinese government or something like that that means that your boycotts did not work but, yeah. you know, there's other studies and analysis that shows that, you know, it's not other, it, you know, the, the, these movements or these campaigns or the boycotts, um, it's not an all or none thing. It's not like um, if it doesn't completely stop the human rights violation, it doesn't, that it didn't have an impact. Um, 
we have seen so many times, like even with countries like Saudi Arabia or Iran, we have seen boycotts or campaigns had somewhat an influence that it reduced the violations, even though it didn't stop them. It did, it do, they do have an impact, especially because these countries, people think like they don't care about their image. They're going to do what they're going to do. These countries spend so much money on promoting their image around the world. They absolutely care about their image. They, they, a, a country like the CCP is so sensitive. They get so triggered when they are like when they think when they say when they claim they've been misrepresented. They are like they're crybabies whenever somebody says something negative about them. Like they, they, they throw it. You know, temper tantrum every time. Like you know, you can see them. They are. They very much cared about their image. They spend millions of dollars trying to promote their image, and campaigns like this or boycotts targets that, and it, it does. It might have some influence in their behavior. It, I'm not saying it's gonna. Oh my. Oh yeah, China's gonna be like, okay, fine, let's close all all the concentration camps tomorrow because of the boycott. No, that's not what I'm saying. But it does have an influence. Again, don't think Don't think so black and white. It's not binary. It might have an impact, especially given that, you know, these boycotts might, uh, at, when they start, they usually are not that big of a deal. But over the years, as it might gain momentum, right? Uh, but what do you think? Why do you think like that? So, even within the Muslim community, I'm not saying some Muslims are not paying attention to what China is doing, but the reactions to Israel's treatments of uh, Muslims is a lot stronger than what China's treatments of Muslims. Even though China's treatment of Muslims is astronomically, I mean, I'm not excusing human rights violations that is happening against like Palestinians or stuff like that. But, but again, compared like what China is doing is astronomically worse, both in scale and in numbers and in the the, the violations. It's like it's is the closest thing we have to. Going back to what I'm not even going to mention it because you World like War it. II, yeah, World and War what II horrified people about World War II. Yeah, well, I'm not saying it's that. Obviously, nothing we've ever seen that gets. But it's like, the closest we. It's seen. the closest we become to what happened before that point. Okay, again, I hope people. It's it's can the read closest the in this the um tech the technological advances that go into it. Are yeah. higher than we have ever seen. The surveillance that is go that goes into it is higher than anything we've seen. Um, well, what you're saying about uh, actions against, like, say, Israel versus China, I think um, there. I don't know any data about the BDS movement. So, for those who aren't familiar, it stands for Boycott, Divest, and Sanction. It's primarily, or maybe entirely, focused on. Um, uh, targeting Israel with boycotts, divestments, and sanctions for the treatments of Palestinians and that ongoing conflict. Um, that movement has been going for a long time. Like, I don't even know how long. Granted, I'm pretty young, <laughs> but as long as I've been aware of the conflict, BDS has been a thing. Um, so in terms of uh, how successful that is, I don't know. There almost certainly is data on that. I would have to look into that. Um, but my understanding is that people just aren't as aware at, of the situation in Xinjiang with the Uyghurs and also Kazakhs, um, just treatment of ethnic minorities, the surveillance state there. Um, 
And I think the awareness of that is continuing to grow. Um, I see a lot more uh, big like leftist YouTubers talking about it more. Um, I think it's it's starting to really come into awareness. And this is the situation in Xinjiang has been going on for years itself already, like a long time. But now it's building awareness. So it'd be interesting to see if it garners as much um, attention and uh, emotional uh, salience, I would say, as the Israel-Palestine situation. So one thing that I thought that was that you were talking about, I think it was on the ask us anything that you did for secular jihadists yesterday, where you were saying a lot of what goes into that conflict is that your stance on Israel, Palestine has become a signal of your in group or out group, depending on what you stand and your passion for it is a good way of displaying your commitment to your in group or out group. And that's a lot of what goes into the fervor of people's politics regarding that conflict and also the urgency of the action that they take. Um, I thought that was very insightful and I'll be interesting to see if that evolves with the situation in Xinjiang um, because although it can be very div divisive, divisive, um, it certainly calls a lot of attention to things and it, it can get things done more quickly because there's more people showing outrage about it. Um, I hope that the situation in Xinjiang doesn't become too partisan. Um, because I know a lot of right-wingers kind of just use any tool they have against China. Um, whether or not they like actually, I don't know, probably don't care too much about the treatment of, you know, like Muslims. Um, so yeah, I hope it doesn't become a, a, a super partisan Democrat Republican thing. Cause that will be damaging to the people mm. of that region. Um, I actually agree with Adam here as well. I say Adam is saying I'm not supporting BDS. Um, BDSM is cool though. Agreed first part. Agreed <laughs> with second part as well. But still think anti-boycott laws are BS. Yeah, I, yes. I agree with all three yes. of them. Um, again, the only reason why I don't support the BDS is because I need to do more research. Me too. But people I have people I trust have said that it's very much tied to anti-Semitic movements, right? This might be not true, but so I, I, I would need to do some more research. So, but I, until I know for sure that it's not, I would not be willing to support anything like that um, myself personally. Uh, because you know, I I think it's very likely that is that is true. Um, BDSM though is not anti-Semitic at all, obviously. Um, so that's cool. And <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh, but even thank if, goodness we <laughs> clarified the BDSM oh, was yeah, anti-Semitic. <laughs> that I would wish be Rivka tough. was here. <laughs> <laughs> you know she would have some zingers for that. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, um, but yeah, I, even if I personally don't support it, I think it's insane how so many people are making it illegal 
like making boycotts illegal and like yeah, that's a free in, speech issue as well. Yeah, and you, especially in the United States, which is supposed to be the center of free speech in the whole world, the fact that they're making passing laws against it is insane. Yeah, like uh, I follow a lot of Palestinian activists, and I don't agree with everything, but that's one thing that I thought was completely insane. But um, Rabid Atheist has a very good point. He's saying we are far too economically connected to China for a boycott to work, but it does draw attention to the issue. Yeah, so our governments are obviously way too tightly connected. I think as a consumer, you can make or try to make as best decisions as possible. Um, however, I mean, so much comes out of China. It's very difficult, you know, so it would have to be on a consumer level, definitely. Um, and it's one thing to boycott something in silence, but I feel like it works best if you're doing it publicly, you know? Um, so you're continuing to draw attention to it. Cause if you just are personally making that decision, like it's not going to make much of a difference. You need to garner more grassroots mass action um, of consumer behavior. Okay. We should go to the next news. Yes. We can't clap for the next. No, news. definitely not. Right. Next news. Next news, Muslim gym trainer lynched in India, forced to chant Jai Shri Ram. So uh, Asif Khan, a Muslim gym trainer from Mawat in Haryana, uh, was lynched to death on May 16th by Hindu vigilante groups. Uh, Maktub Media said in its report that the Hindu mob was forcing Asif to chant Jai Shri Ram a prayer turned war cry by the Hindu nationalist militants. Uh, Han's family stated that Asif was traveling with his uh, friends from his home village of uh, Halipur to Sona to get medicine when 30 people attacked him. Asif's uncle told the media that during the attack, the mob was screaming, Oh, I don't know if I can say this on YouTube. Uh, oh, I shouldn't scroll down. It actually gets really ugly. The imagery. The uh, oh. they were screaming, uh, "K I L L Muslims." Um, according to the family, the Haryana uh, police have filed a report against the perpetrators, but no arrests have been made so far, or as of the seventeenth when this was published. So, for people who don't know, Jai Shri Ram is the Aloha Akbar of the Hindus. Basically, means Aloha Akbar in Hindu. Uh, literally translates to, oh, thank you, Katie. She's a uh, victory to Lord Ram. Ram is one of um, Hindu gods. Wait, hold on. Let me think. Let me. It's. Uh, I know it's a reincarnation of Vishnu, but let me remember which number. Number eight. Reincarnation of Vishnu, am I right? Lord Ram, number eight reincarnation of Vishnu. Ex Hindus, let us know. Did he get it right? Hindu as an ex Hindus. Yeah. Um, Krishna is the ninth, and Modi is number 10. <laughs> no, no, wait, seven. Ah, seven. Nine is Buddha. I, I'm, I screwed up. Okay, seven is uh, Ram, eight is Krishna. Nine is Buddha, and ten is Modi. Ten is Modi. yeah, I know, but I'm joking when I'm saying uh, ten is Kalki, but Kalki is Modi. <laughs> Some uh, niche Hinduism jokes. 
Um, but okay, yeah, Jai Shiram. But yeah, um, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't. Be, you know how we get some Hindus who, when every time we criticize Hinduism, they come and in the live chat and say, "Well, Armin, at least we don't behead people, right?" And oh, we, right? Yeah. And we were like, oh, my God, you guys are not violent. Here's a cookie. That means, like, we don't get to criticize your ideas because you don't do these things. Okay, here's a cookie for you. Here's a cookie for you. We should stop giving out those cookies, right? Because it's actually dishonest to say that Hinduism is not used for violence, right? It's, it's absurd. It's like a, yeah, it's absurd. Yeah. Like, forcing a man to say something which you know is, like, not only a major sin in his religion, the most serious sin in his religion to like praise another God. You literally can't like force a Muslim to do anything worse according to Islam. Like I think people need to be aware of how much anti-Muslim bigotry like exists in the world. Like, I think this is, I guess, maybe personal criticism of some of our audience. Like, they come from a Muslim background. Maybe they're still living in a Muslim country. So they have a lot of resentments and don't have as much sympathy towards these events, you know? And it really disappoints me. And it makes me really upset because just because you are abused by Muslims, like wherever you are, that doesn't mean that other Muslims in other places in the world aren't horrifically abused. Mm. And I, your poor treatment doesn't in any way justify what happens to these other people. Like it's heartbreaking. And some people are so angry and bitter and for many reasons that I completely understand but we need to have a lot of sympathy for the people who are completely persecuted read what Harshad is I don't saying. know if I'm making sense no, um, no. Harshad is saying the problem is not just forcing the change even if they say it the goons would just claim they are being insincere hmm Silva saying, I'm super happy that the BGP got their um, asses kicked by... Oh, yeah, actually, we In West Bengal, Tamil Nandu, yeah. and Kerala. We should have covered that. Um, okay. I was thinking this... about it, but it seemed too geopolitical. Right. Less religion. I don't understand this one. Oh. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah, sorry. Okay, here, here's another one. Um, oh, Harshit's just repeating himself. Yeah, the problem is not just forcing the chant. Yeah. Even if they say it, the goons would be okay. Um, Katie is saying the Maratha Empire Hindus committed one of the largest massacres in Indian history in Bengal. Whoa, 400,000. And then in the Afghan Durrani Empire. Hmm. Oh, but this is interesting. Wait, this is a good comment from Sh Shuva that I want to highlight because it kind of comes off of my point. I have the hardest time talking about how Muslims are treated in India with my Hindu relatives because the first thing they say is, look at what they do to us in Bangladesh and Pakistan. Right. 
See, this yeah. is your mind on, on collectivism. Guys, mm-hmm. I hope like people understand that when we say like, okay, like bring back uh, Katie's comment, okay? This does, uh, okay, hold on. Let me actually just go like this. This, what Katie is saying, okay? I hope nobody thinks that we or Katie or Susanna are trying to hold Hindus response today responsible for stuff like this, right? No, like we're not blaming Hindus. We're, you know, we are just saying Hinduism as an ideology can be used for violence. But we're not like this is not none of this, even no matter how bad the numbers are, should ever be used as an excuse to hold Hindus responsible for crimes like this. Hindus are not responsible for the crimes like this. Only the people who did these things are responsible for crimes like this, right? Um, if you wanna, if you have the mindset of like, oh my God, look what Hindus are doing. This is, means that Hindus are bad. Well, that way of thinking is exactly what people like this are using to attack Muslims, right? Because they're attacking innocent Muslims because they're holding Muslims collectively responsible for what other Muslims did to Hindus, right? Because guess what? Hindus are the number one non-Muslim victims of Islam. The number of Hindus that died under Islamic ruling is is higher than any other group of people. So much so that the name mountains out of it, the Hindu Kush. Hindu Kush means like killing Hindus. That's what it means, right? That's how yeah, it's like the numbers are astronomical, right? So we don't want to comments. Like, I hope nobody, like, we have to be careful because people don't sometimes know what we mean. Like, if you feel like, oh my God, look at these numbers, look at the level of crimes that Hindus are committing on Muslims in India. I hope nobody goes away. Like, we, I don't know what to do to make sure that people don't get this message to go away thinking, like, oh my God, Hindus are oppressive to Muslims. No, not Hindus. Just only these people, only these people. That if you think they, like that, and how they weaponize like that, their religion, yeah, and their religion. But if you think like that, if you all of a sudden want to like hate on Hindus as a whole because of this, well, that again, I want to. I know I already said this, but I want to say it again. That exactly the mindset that makes them feel justified to attack Muslims because they also have many examples of Muslims attacking their community. Right, this Muslim that was lynched, he had nothing to do with all the Hindus that died after this guy. Had nothing to do with all the Muslims that um, committed crimes against Hindus. But he's paying for he's paying the price for it because of guilt by association. Right. So if we if you're against this, then don't again be mindful not to promote the, the same thing, but on Hindus. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's what some Muslims think like. That's how some Muslims think like. Like they're justified to attack Hindus because like, well, I have a, I have thousands of, like not thousands, hundreds of years of worth of history to tell you, show you why Hindus attacked us, and this will be justified. Blah 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 blah. Again, this is my, this is your mind on collectivism. This is your mind on religion. This is your mind on tribalism, and this is your mind when you believe in guilt by association. Okay. This is why individualism is the way, okay? Look, judge every individual's based on their own actions. And even if you judge them based on their own actions, 
none still something like this is never justified no matter what the crime is okay i, I want to highlight this comment from michael sherlock because it was speaking to oh hey what i was talking about in terms of certain attitudes michael sherlock is saying many ex-muslims have suffered severe trauma which is why their criticisms and i uh, of the ideology of islam are so fierce yes but i was talking about muslims not islam um, however, most ex-Muslims I know do not su subscribe to an irrational caricature of Muslims because they actually have Muslim friends and family, so they understand how horrible anti-Muslim bigotry is. And many ex-Muslims still suffer from anti-Muslim bigotry. That is particularly true in the West in terms of still suffering from anti-Muslim bigotry. However, this is not always the case. Like, I hate to say it, I've seen ex-Muslims who are basically sympathetic to what's happening in China and Xinjiang to the Uyghurs. Like, um, and I know that it comes from a place of trauma that probably hasn't been um, dealt with, but we can't shy away from the fact that there are ex-Muslims who do demonize Muslims. They do exist. This is, yeah. and I, I, it's, I, some of the things I see I'm shocked by. You know, so I want I want to call it out and I want to talk about it because it's just as dangerous and it upsets me. Um, but yes, I'm curious, Armin, if you had any comments on my thoughts about um, that flavor of attitude no. that I've detected among certain certain not all. Expulsive. Yes. So, yeah, and again, the trauma that ex-Muslims uh, have gone through should be used as an explanation for what, why some of them have anti-Muslim big, uh, bigoted views, but not as an excuse. There's a difference between explaining it something and excusing something. And again, that's a very fine line because, you know, um, because it, you know, if you don't understand that, then, I mean, the worst radical views on the planet you could see how some of the crazies and far right or Islamists or bigots, you could see the path that got them there and you could explain mm -hmm. it, but you always have to be clear explaining it. That doesn't mean that it's okay, that it's justified or that it's that you're excusing it, right? Uh, you're just trying to explain it just so that you could see if you could prevent it in other people. But you also have to cl uh, clarify every time if you're explaining it because people might seem like they're that you're excusing it. There is no excuse for such views, right? Um, yeah. I, I think it's interesting. This is a pattern I've noticed that this kind of attitude, um, in my anecdotal experience, tends to appear in people who have not been able to actually be free in their in their life, in their lifestyle, maybe where they live from Islam. Like, they're not actually able to just be free and, like, leave that behind, so to speak. Like, it's actively part of their life that they're continuing to be persecuted, like, more viciously than someone who left Islam in America, you know. Um, mm. So I factor that in to a lot of what's driving these attitudes. We have had people, ex-Muslims in our own community here that have some that like we like loved and adored and we celebrated as my valuable and then in private all of a sudden they sent us messages about their views on muslims that me and Susanna were like and we were like we know that 
they had had such traumatic bad experiences so it's really hard for them to like us to show them why they are wrong but they i'm so glad like some of these ex-muslims are not in a position of authority or decision making some of them i mean oof, like god damn some of these ex-muslims so here's the thing so you think like again Hashtag not all. Many of them are not like that. We're talking about ex-Muslims living in Islamic countries. Like their entire family and friends and everything around them are Muslim, right? So most people they know are Muslim. And yet they have such such crazy radical views about what they want to see happen to Muslims that it scares me. Like it really scares me, right? So that is, again, it's not the majority of them, but it is common. And that, no, that's not a contradiction, right? It is not a majority, but it is, it is co- common. Um, here, Katie is saying something. Um, Goddess Katie is saying the Hindutva is just helping Islam live longer. Um, Muslims are becoming more tribal because they are being persecuted. Then Hindutva is using this tribalism to persecute them more. Yes, in fact, I know some ex-Muslims in India who don't really publicly identify as ex-Muslim because they know that they'll be basically used like as a political tool um, against their own community that they have a lot of affinity for, or um, because they're going to be persecuted as a Muslim either way. Like as um, Armin and I are well aware from our run-in with Hindutva, um, you know, if you know, guys don't know the religion that you come from is actually in your blood. It's in your blood. Don't, and uh, Don't joke about that. People might think we're serious. Yeah, no, uh, I'm completely joking because of some crazy accusations that we faced. Um, yeah. Hmm. Where it's just a characteristic. It's horrible. It's horrible bigotry. Yeah. We need to move on to the next news, by the way. Sorry, I see yes. some other comments uh, that I need to highlight, but we do need to move on to the next. Good. Can we clap for the next? News? Um. Ooh, uh, let's just clap. No one. Next news. <laughs> next no news. No one here. No one died. Uh, well, we'll see. Um. So, uh, next news: the U.S. Supreme Court to take up major abortion rights challenge. So this is, oh, geez. Uh, I was watching a lot of videos about this this morning, and I started to get stressed out. Okay. So on May 17th, the United States Supreme Court agreed to a showdown over abortion in a case that could dramatically change nearly 50 years of laws on abortion rights. A fundamental question in this case is about viability whether, specifically whether a fetus can survive independently at 15 weeks. So this comes out of a law in Mississippi, which we will get into in a second. The only abortion clinic still operating in Mississippi conferred evidence that viability is impossible at 15 weeks. The appeals court said that the state admitted that it had no medical proof that a fetus would be viable at 15 weeks. Viability, or the point at which babies are more likely to survive outside of the womb, occurs at approximately 24 weeks of pregnancy. But the state of Mississippi claims that viability is an arbitrary standard that doesn't take sufficient account of the state's interest in regulating abortion. 
The Mississippi law would grant exceptions to the 15-week ban in the case of medical emergencies or critical fetal abnormality. Um, uh, doctors violating the ban would face compulsory suspension of their license. So before we get into this, I want to set the stage a little bit. So in um, 2018, and again, uh Law and legal stuff confuses me. So if you guys, if I say something wrong and you want to correct me, like, just please let me know. My understanding is that in 2018, Mississippi passed this law that um, abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy or con past conception would be banned and illegal. So this, there, currently there is only one clinic in the entirety of Mississippi that actually performs abortions. And if you look at this building, it is fortified. Like it is the way that it's fortified lets you know how serious of an issue it is. Like it's like, it's a little castle, which makes me like so scared because that shows you how dangerous this is there. Um, Anyways, so they passed this law and this law was blocked by lower courts because it is in blatant violation of the precedents set by Roe v. Wade in the 1970s and Casey versus Planned Parenthood in the 1990s, where basically our standard of abortion law in America is that you cannot get an abortion when the fetus could survive outside of the mother. Well, Mississippi banned uh, Marcia saying viability with support or without support. That's not entirely clear to me, um, just to be honest. So um, they put this ban, which is like unconstitutional according to the precedent set by the Supreme Court. And it has been going through the lower courts, which have predominantly maintained the decision of Roe v. Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood until it got to the Supreme Court level, and the Supreme Court actually did agree to hear this case. Now, a lot of analysts I were watching who were who are talking about this were saying that it's that this legislation was specifically designed to go up against Roe v. Wade. For those who are unaware, that's the landmark case that basically made abortion um, federally recognized, legal across the country. Um, and, oh shoot, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so they were shocked that this case, that they decided to hear this case in the first place because it so blatantly goes against precedent. And they were talking about how this bill was designed to challenge Roe v. Wade, to get it up to this level. Um, there are so many different things that go into this. I mean, there's the level of the fact that we are going to have three um, of the Trump appointed judges ruling on this case. We now have a conservative majority in the Supreme Court when this is um, coming up. So this won't be heard until next term, which I believe begins in October. And it won't likely actually, the oral arguments probably won't begin until like the spring of next year. Um, but this is going to be a huge problem because it completely changes our understanding of when abortions are okay. And if it, my understanding is that it would not completely remove Roe v. Wade, but it would 
change a lot of things on the state level. So there would no longer be this. And guys, I'm not a lawyer. This kind of stuff confuses me. Um, there would not be the same federal level of protection. It would now be up to individual states to set these abortion rules. And um, some of them could be very extreme. Like something we're probably going to talk about next week is that uh, in Texas, the governor recently signed uh, to law a bill that bans abortion. I think after it's called like a heartbeat bill. So as soon as a heartbeat appears in the fetus, which I think could be as early as a few weeks. Um, Who gives a crap about heartbeats? These people are just like, what is, why is this still a discussion? Who gives a crap about fetuses? They're not self-aware. Nobody should care. Why is this a discussion in the most advanced country of the goddamn planet? Like so-called apparently advanced most advanced. Like God, God, how? Why can't we move on? It's just a bunch of cells. You know what we should do? I propose we make a lab that makes millions of little fetuses all the time, and as soon as the heartbeat shows up, it just kills it all over and over and over again. Like a thousand of them each every day, just so they'll be like, you can't do anything with a, a, you know, just for like, just just (laughs) out of spite. Out of spite. Oh, actually, I have a better solution. Here's my solution. Yeah. Do it at home abortion kits that at some point, not now, I know it's dangerous. I know, I know it's dangerous right now, but one day, one day, not now. Don't do it now. Don't do it right now. It's extra, extreme dangerous. But I'm hoping one day we get to a place, right, where we're going to have, you could order on Amazon a machine that just is connected to the internet and like a doctor from India or somewhere can monitor that you're healthy and everything. And it's just very, very clean, very like safe, right? And then you just sit on it and you press a button. And it just goes inside, takes the fetus, blends it, uh, liquefies it, and then it, it sits on top of the um, your to- like you put the machine on top of the toilet, right? And it's just like you don't even see it. Just like it just you don't it just goes in, and takes care of it, and blends it, and then you flush it down the toilet. You don't feel anything, and you could like you don't even have to worry about getting pregnant anymore. You could have get pregnant as many times as you want and every time you don't feel like it it doesn't really matter what point of the pregnancy you're in you could be like very late stage it doesn't matter the machine will take care of it for you it's very safe very healthy make this happen fetus blending machine very, um, make it happen like so that you don't have to worry about not having abortion clinics and stuff like that scientists this machine will sell set make it you know i will donate to like you don't even have to give me credit okay Okay, I'm not I'm not trademarking it. Go make this thing, um, remove the patent on it, so that the whole world could take advantage of it. It will save the planet. Okay, family planning around the world. It will save everything. It doesn't matter if the country your country is bans it or like like send these machines like save the country, especially countries that have abortion laws against abortion. Like secretly like make it so that they could print it. Okay, like put the 
uh, have 3D printing machines, right? So people could go online and they just make it at home, right? I don't know, something, okay? Or like import it illegally into countries that they have anti-abortion laws and send it to all, liberate, liberate all women, liberate women by sending them liquefying fetus machines around the world, okay? Liquefy the fetuses. <laughs> it's like, it will save the planet. It will save, like, you know, again, I'm not saying, like, Population control is not an issue everywhere. Some some countries need higher populations. But planning when the families, when, if they want to have baby, if they could plan it, that will really help, especially countries where they're suffering from poverty. Family planning is important. Have a baby when you want it. When you don't, guys, if you don't want to have a baby and you're pregnant, you don't have to worry about, Oh, but the baby is healthy. No, it's not. It's not a. It's not a goddamn baby. It's a fetus. Okay, it's not a goddamn baby. It's a fetus. Okay, and you don't need to be like, oh, am I financially secure enough enough to be able to take care of it? No, it doesn't matter. If you just don't feel like it, you shouldn't be a parent. Okay, if you're halfway pregnant and you like, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't want to have a baby. I can. I am completely capable of being a parent. I'm financially secure. I have a partner that could support me, but I don't feel like it. That's all you need to be able to get rid of the. You know, completely nuke the baby. Okay, just nuke, liquefy the baby. It doesn't really matter. Eliminate that thing. It's a, it's a, it's, 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 it's not it's a... nuke the baby. <laughs> <laughs> not nuke the fetus. You're right. Nuke the fetus. Okay. You know, I don't completely. even have to um, respond to that. I would just like to ask the live chat what they think of Armin's creative solutions to this, to the, this legislation on this episode. He's had several I... creative solutions. <laughs> Blend, blend, blend the fetus, liquefy it, and actually don't flush it down the toilet. Maybe oh. use it for in your garden. Maybe I don't know. Like it's like, um, it's organic material. Grow some plants with it. It's a lot of good material. There. I don't know, but do something. But <laughs> it's better than having a baby. Better than bring. It's better than bringing a baby into the world when you're not when you're not feeling to be a parent. Okay, fetus lives don't matter. Liquefy the fetuses. Put it in your garden. Grow some plants with it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh my god. So yeah, that uh, we were talking about this last night, and <laughs> the first time you said this to me, I lost my, I lost it. Yes, for um, fertilizers, fertilizers, exactly. I hate you guys. <laughs> I, hate, I hate everyone. No, people agree with me. Fetus lives don't matter. Fetus lives don't matter. Make this hashtag. We're not me and Susanna have been kicked out of Twitter, so we can't do this. Make go and make this trend on Twitter. Fetus lives don't I mean, matter. I want to talk hashtag, about hashtag fetus lives don't matter. Hashtag liquefy fetuses. Okay. Yeah. So um I'm really worried about how this is going to play out. Um so wait, there was a really good comment by Rabbit Atheist that I want to highlight. Let me see if I can find it. Um, because I'm not, this is a very complicated issue that I'm not like extremely well versed in. But my understanding is that there are several states that have these so-called trigger laws that are basically laws that would put really tight restrictions on abortion if any challenge to Roe v. Wade was attained. Um, ah, here we go from the rabbit atheist saying, if this goes through, it becomes a state's rights issue again. It would gut Roe v. Wade on a practical level. And this is what I wanted to highlight. Exactly. So there would be these trigger laws in many states where as soon as there was any changes to the standard or the precedent set by um, 
uh, Roe v. Wade or Casey versus Planned Parenthood, that there would be these trigger laws that immediately put into effect these insanely tight restrictions on abortions. And then we already have a lot of state variation in abortion rights or accessibility. It should be your right everywhere, but it's a, a lot of a problem is of accessibility to it. So that's already a wide problem that varies throughout the states, but it would become even worse. So like me in California, I would have very loose liberal restrictions if anything was to happen to the status or the precedent set by Roe v. Wade. Like I, my life would probably be unaffected, but that wouldn't be the case for people in other states. Um, it could really damage their life. And there's, I mean, this is a whole different thing, but like abortion is actually really good for the economy. Um, not even like in the immediate, but in future generations, it benefits the economy. Um, and it's just, this is such a disaster waiting to happen on so many levels. It will leave so many women to go have abortions that are dangerous Oh, by the way, I didn't give a firm uh, label on Armin's idea. Don't, don't, don't. I mean, I know he said, he said in a hypothetical future where it is completely safe. Okay. Right now, oh, yeah. doing no, anything no, no, like do that is not safe. Yes. Okay. I said, don't do it yourself now. I'm saying technology advances eventually when you have a machine that you put at home. No, no, no. I definitely don't do it. Of course not. God damn it. Of course. It's worth I, repeating. <laughs> I, I clarified it like 10 times. Like, uh, yeah, of course, don't do it at home. It's, it's absolutely dangerous. In fact, these people, these laws are putting women's lives at risk because some people might be so desperate that they would have, they are going to do it at home. My mom, actually, before she had me, she um, did it herself. <gasps> and she almost, yeah, she was a college student and she she almost died bleeding if she wasn't found in her dorm room like she she had her entire mattress was filled with blood um and she passed out from bleeding and if her if the people didn't find her uh she would have died before she had me so yeah my mom actually had a, a like oh yeah this was early after the revolution in iran and she went she wanted to get she really wanted an abortion and she went to so many doctors and at that time it was so dangerous for any doctor to even attend this they come every single one of them refused her but the last doctor the last doctor told her like i'm not going to do this but if you want to do it yourself this is how it's done and the doctor actually recommended like this is how you use a coat hanger or whatever mm. and my mom went home and went to her, her university dorm she was a nursing student back then and she did it herself, and she says she's remembered that when she flushed the toilet, she saw that she hated seeing that fetus like go round and round before it went down. And then she started bleeding, and she almost died. So yeah, don't don't do it, don't do it. Yeah. Oh my God, it's literally a nightmare, and that will be the lives of so many more women. If it because it, it's already a reality for many women, and for example, Mississippi, where there is only one uh, clinic where it's basically armored like there's a, a, a federal like money printing press in there or something it's mm -hmm. terrifying and i would also like to highlight by the way that this ban in mississippi um even outlaws abortion in the case of rape or incest 
that is you're not allowed to get an abortion in the case of rape or incest under this law mm. it's so screwed up it is so screwed up so yeah. Um, Anyways, this I on. am going to be following this closely, and thank you. We won't see how things evolve until uh, later when oral arguments are heard. Hmm. But guys, I'm I'm worried. I'm really worried. I'm All not right, gonna can lie. we clap for the next news? Um, no. Sorry, next guys. News. Next news. Next news. Dozens held in Pakistan for trying to lynch brothers accused of blasphemy. In Islamabad, Pakistan. Pakistani police detained dozens of men on May 18th on charges of attacking a police station, attacking a police station Wait, in an what? attempt to lynch two brothers held in jail accused of desecrating a Muslim mosque. The police took the brothers accused of blasphemy to a secure location along with some injured officials. Hamza uh, Shafat, Islamabad Deputy Commissioner, told Reuters most of the arrested men were refugees from Afghanistan. Police officer Asim Ghaffar mentioned that the mob wanted to behead the accused. The two brothers were accused of blasphemy for allegedly ripping up a banner inscribed with the names of the companions of Prophet Muhammad from the outer wall of a mosque. So, oh my God. So, this... Look at this. Look at this article. Some 36 have been arrested. 36 people attacked a police station trying to get at the prisoners inside. And part of why I wanted to bring this up was to validate the point that we have said many times before, that if you're accused of blasphemy in Pakistan, you may actually be safer with the police who will likely sentence you to death. Well, the police won't do it. You know what I mean. The system. Yes. Yeah, because the, the, the death sentences in Pakistan actually haven't never been carried out. Mm -hmm. So you're if you are accused of anything like this for blasphemy, you were like, it seemed to me like you were safer if you were arrested. But these mobs, they're like, no chill. Like, even if you're in prison, we're going to come for you in prison. Look, look at this. OK. In other countries. In other countries, people are intimidated by the police. In Pakistan, the police is intimidated by the mob. Like, imagine if you're the actual police, and you who do you call if you're the police and you see a mob coming? <laughs> like, imagine if, you, if you're a cop and you get a call and you're like, okay, what's your emergency? Like, we're, we're actually cop ourselves. <laughs> like, we need backup. Like, this... <laughs> this is, like, so insane. Imagine if you're the cops that's supposed to scare people about to to behave but you're actually like you're scared of the people the police in pakistan they're intimidated by the islamists this is how crazy pakistan has become and guys yeah. i like i know some of you are in the left they're saying oh this is shocking sarcastically but this is shocking is even for pakistan like these people have no chill like it used to be like oh my god you you accused of blasphemy the mob is going to get you but now you're arrested like oh thank god i'm arrested because now i'm safe in prison but now people now this is like a new level of escalation like even if you're in prison we're going to come tear down the prison we might come and attack these people are so angry that they know for like you think like these people don't know if they're attacking the police that there's going to be consequences for attacking the police that they're going to get arrested that they're going to go to jail 
They know that. Oh yeah. They don't they don't care. They're like, it's our duty. We have to do it. For the honor the of the police prophet. is protecting you. Guys, the po Pakistani police, like, we're gonna go over them and attack you in prison. It's it's like it's so scary. Like hashtag fund the police in Pakistan, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> God damn it. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, and I would just like to point out the, the men who are accused of blasphemy are also like accused of pelting the mosque with stones. I thought it was very interesting to highlight that it wasn't actually specifically blasphemy against Muhammad. It was against uh, companions of the prophet, meaning the Sahaba. So this now becomes this Shia versus mm. Sunni thing. Um and no, the police officer said, quote, give us the accused. We will decide what to do with them. That's what he said that the mob was saying. Oh, they okay. Injured so the police police. Officer... They injured police officials. So the mob was telling that to, to the police that like, you, you, you don't worry about it. You guys go take a hike. We'll take care of these criminals. Um, okay. But Aaron, Aaron. So Aaron is saying it appears Armin Avobi has not heard about the mob in Pakistan attacking and kidnapping what? police over the fridge. Over the French ambassador a few weeks ago. This is mild stuff now. No, ARN, we covered it here on Atheist Republic. I'm saying things are escalating, just like you saying this was a few weeks ago. Obviously, like this is becoming a new thing. A few weeks ago is not that long ago. God damn it. But yeah. And we, that was shocking. Okay. And I love that, that comment shocking. of this is mild stuff now. No, it's not. No, it's not. The, the, you're saying that oh so they like they had oh they yeah took it's every police Tuesday, officers man. hostage over i'm not even going to get into what that whole fight was about right mm -hmm. so this is just normal now no you think it's normal that this is just a continued attitude now and also like we've seen this type of behavior before this wasn't yeah. just in regards to the tlp thing also, um also but things we, are escalating you go on, you finish before. There was a really good comment from Michael Sherlock saying, isn't it so weird that blasphemy convictions save lives in Pakistan? Yeah, it's weird. It's like, so that's an interesting way to put it. That's a very interesting way to put it. Yeah. Another point to bring up is that, as Susanna pointed out, this is new. Even for Pakistan, this is a new standard. Like, things are escalating. Because it used to be, if you insult Muhammad, your life... Like you get not even if you insult, if you get accused of insulting Muhammad, things would escalate to to these kind of levels, right? Now, again, this is new for people who think like, no, this is ha this happens every Tuesday in Pakistan. No, this is a new escalation because the Sahaba are becoming the new front. Like people are like, okay, God damn it, let's well, let's not insult, let's not say anything about Muhammad. That's not enough. We have to go after the Shias. So even suggesting, even not even suggesting, even being accused of having views against the Sahaba, the Sahaba is not Muhammad. They're the companions of Muhammad. That means the mob could go after you. And if, if that is the new standard, every Shia could become a target in Pakistan. Because I don't know if people understand, when we say the companions of Muhammad, that's how Sunnis describe them. These are the same people that the Shias think that uh, are the people who betrayed Muhammad's will, the people who betrayed the Ahlul Bayt, the Ali, the Ali and Fatima. So these are not these are the heroes in Sunni Islam, 
and these are the villains in Shia Islam. So now insulting them or having views against them is considered blasphemy in Pakistan so much to enough to I mean this is guys this is new not just in Pakistan this is new everywhere right because uh, the... no, I mean I mean here's the thing okay this is too extreme for Saudi Arabia okay because Saudi Arabians like the the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia they don't think like veneration of the sahaba is justified right so that's how crazy this is getting in Pakistan because people are like in Saudi Arabia, some of these Wahhabis might be like, you know, the Sahaba, but they're just, they were just people. They were not holy people. They were not like sacred. They were not like, the, you know, something that you need to get butthurt over like this, right? So if you maybe speak bad about them, they would be like, no, you're wrong. This is bad. But th- this is not the reaction you get from Wahhabis in, in Saudi Arabia. This is not even like, you know, you've gone you know how far things have gone where this is an extreme compared to like Saudi Arabian Wahhabis. Anyways. What are you going to say? Oh, well, I actually wanted to highlight that um, the the criminalizing and insulting the companions of the Prophet or the Sahaba is actually not that new. Um, No, yeah. It's been a part of the penal code for some time. Um, Wait, sorry, say that again. Say that again. The criminalizing of the insulting of the Sahaba is not new. I know. Wait, okay, this is so. Let's look at the levels of escalation. Okay. No, it, it's been it's been it's been like a couple of like about a couple of year or two where this is now be, being introduced in Pakistan as new grounds for laws for blasphemy when you go after the Sahaba, right? So that's one level of escalation that has been we've seen happening. And now a new level of escalation is that we see the same mob reaction that we used to see against uh, secularists, uh, atheists, and Ahmadis. Then eventually led to, like, we saw more of it against Christians, right? And now we're seeing that we saw it becoming closer to law in Pakistan. But now we're seeing the same mob reactions against the Shias happening more and more so that's then that's another escalation and now we're seeing the escalation taking so going so far where they're attacking police they're attacking 36 people at the same time attacking a police station not for the sake of muhammad but for the sake of the companions of muhammad if this is not if you think that this is not escalation compared to what's before you have not been following what's happening right this is definitely escalation even based on the pakistani standards yeah and i mean a lot of people in the live chat are pointing out that like a attacks against Shia aren't new. You're right, but we can agree that it's definitely escalated. I remember last year, there was that rally of tens of thousands of people. Um, I can't remember where, in one of the major cities, just shouting, tens of thousands, well, it looked like tens of thousands of people, just shouting, like, coffer, uh, coffer, Shia, coffer. Right, right. You know, so, and that, that was shocking to many people I knew, like, of how bad it got. Even in Pakistan. Yeah. See, like, let me let me highlight this because ARN, you ha- are incapable of listening to what I'm saying. Okay, so ARN is saying, I urge you to look at the long history of attacks on Shias in Pakistan region. It goes back decades and decades. It's not new. Okay, you are completely. You have your listening skills are in the toilet. Okay, I have been covering the history of that, and I have even looked at the sources of that, and I've also seen seen the escalation of this 
movement increasing ever since 1979, even more than before. I, I've, I've covered interviews of people in Pakistan who said that before the Islamic Revolution of Iran and the promotion of Wahhabi madrasas by Saudi Arabia and Pakistan, a lot of Muslims in Pakistan didn't even know the difference between the Shia and Shia, uh, Sunni and then but the rises madrasa since the past 40 years, the escalation between Shias and Sunnis have increasing. This is not in contradiction to the fact that that, that's Separation have been escalating. The fact that they existed since four, like since decades ago, doesn't mean that it hasn't been escalating. How are your minds so binary? Just because something existed before, it doesn't mean that it's not escalating. God damn it, you guys are so simplistic in your way of thinking. Um, this actually reminds me an, an example of this escalating, and this isn't specifically against uh, the Shia, but um, and I've been looking for more information on this. So if, but I'm having a hard time finding it in English. Also, um, so my understanding is that recently more legislation has been passed that um, I believe probably criminalization is in place for people who do not use a phrase at the end of Muhammad's name. And it's a phrase, I don't know, it's probably in Urdu. Um, but it's a phrase that basically means like, every time you say Muhammad, like peace be upon him, you also acknowledge that he is the last prophet. And you have to say this, otherwise it's deemed blasphemy. And you could be criminalized for it. Now, this um, specifically targets Ahmadis who are one of the most persecuted minorities in Pakistan. Some people even argue that they experience a form of apartheid in Pakistan um, because for them, Muhammad isn't the last prophet. So if you don't say this phrase, acknowledging that he is the last prophet, then you're going to be criminalized and, or you're like outing yourself as like Ahmadi, Ahmadiyya possibly, you know, like that's how deeply things are escalating that even you, the words that you use and phrases that you say after his name, like you not doing that could get you in serious trouble. Um, so if there's someone who knows what I'm talking about, if you could send me more information on that, because I've been trying, I heard about this, but I can't find information in English to give you more specific and more detailed explanation. Um, please pass that on to me on Instagram or on Discord. Links in the description. All right. Um, can we clap for the next news? Um, <laughs> let's clap because I find this hilarious. Next news. Next news. Indian court blocks blasphemous movie accused of defaming Catholics. Okay. So... We're, we're going to get into this. This is okay. So we don't obviously support the blocking of blasphemy, right? But this film just seems right up my alley, which is why I'm talking about it. Okay, let me continue. Um, uh, on May 12th, the High Court in Southern India's Kerala State opposed the release of Aquarium, a movie in the uh, Malayalam language. So, uh, uh, a member of the Sacred Heart Congregation, Sister Jessie Mani, who filed the petition in the Delhi High Court, said that the movie trivialized the life of Catholic priests and nuns by, quote, portraying them as mere sex objects. She elaborated, quote, there are scenes of sexual relationships among the same sex between priests and nuns and sex with animals in a highly derogatory manner. 
Her complaint also detailed the offensive nature of the movie trailer, which, quote, depicted the sexual relationship of nuns with two priests and also an emotional relationship with Jesus Christ, thereby clearly tarnishing the reputation of the Catholic Church and its members, which she claimed would, quote, demoralize priests and nuns. Hey, I like this movie. Wait, can you explain this? This is the best promo for this movie. What's happening in the movie? Can you explain? So... This is actually interesting. There's this movie. Uh, right now it's titled Aquarium. I think it used to be under a different name. This movie has been blocked from release since 2013. So, huh. you know, um, movies have to go through, like, a form of bureaucracy where they get approved by, like, government branches and stuff, and then they get to be released. So this movie has been blocked for years because of the content in this film. And I guess there were some like changes in that where it was allowed to um, be released on online platforms. Like right now I saw that it's um, uh, being released on some like South Asian streaming platform. And so this trailer comes out and it really pisses off people for defaming Catholics. So I wanted to highlight this news for a couple of reasons. One, because um, I'm not, I doesn't seem very often that, Christians in India use the blasphemy law there. Um, or at least this is one of the first times it's come into my awareness. Um, also, because I love this marketing. Okay. Because the first time I found out about the Islamic film that's going to come out, The Lady of Heaven, is when the Pakistani telecommunications agency put out a bulletin banning the film for being sacrilegious. Right. I was like, did someone say sacrilegious? I'm going to wa- go watch this trailer right now. Yeah. I saw this. I'm like, I'm going to go watch this right now. I watched the trailer for this. <clears throat> Guys like Google um, Aquarium uh, Malayalam or something and watch this trailer. Mm-hmm. I was like, this looks right up my alley. I love this. I couldn't understand a lot of it, but it seems like a sexy Catholic, like maybe murder thriller. Um. But it okay. So here's a question. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just what? so into like when does it? When did this movie come out? Like when does this? Like when does this movie announced? Like when was the first ad? Um, let me pull up the article. So right, it doesn't matter because I'm yeah. going to claim it anyways. Um, I think the these Christians, no, these movie makers, what re- followed Atheist Republic, uh, and they saw. <laughs> I'm just making a claim here, okay? And they read, they saw how much our patronage grew when we were blocked in India, how much news coverage we got, and be like, that seemed like a great marketing tactic. What if we get banned? What if we get blocked in India? That's going to make so many more people watch us. Um, so I think, like, yeah, maybe that's... Look, it's it's completely apparently. Look, it's sex scenes... It, there's sex scenes involving priests and nuns. Can we like make a blasphemous art celebrating this movie? <laughs> yes, and we promoting can. <laughs> it? Yeah, I'm promoting it. Yes, as well. Like we heard that India just blocked a movie that involves sex scenes between priests and nuns. I mean, honestly, do you guys need to hear anything more than sex scenes between priests and nuns to be, you know? Tempted to go watch this movie. I'm yeah, I'm so like, yeah. But then now that the court has blocked it, isn't this an honor if your movie is so sexy that a court has to come and block it? 
Like that's amazing. It's it's too hot. It's too hot. Okay, so to answer it's your question, too, hot. Just... too hot for India. Watch the movie <laughs> this summer. Watch the movie that was too hot for India. Um. Right? So the movie was completed, which means that it was probably filming way before then. It was completed in 2013, and it's been blocked from being released for almost 10 years. Um, what? It was completed in 2013 and it failed wow. to hit screens that year because India's Central Board of Film Certification denied permission because of its controversial and offensive nature, supposedly. Um, but it is it, it was released online on May 14th. So you guys can go find this online if you want. Um, it's now titled Aquarium. But I love this. The producers originally named the movie and I can't say this because it's in Malayalam, um, but it translates to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, but then they just renamed it Aquarium as a part of like a clandestine attempt to get it released online. <laughs> like, okay, well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's a little too obvious. We just got to call it Aquarium. <laughs> like, um, yeah. yeah. By the way, like, do these, like, I don't understand. Do these people not understand? Like, okay, so did these Christians um in india genuinely were attempting for this movie to not be seen and they thought getting the courts to block it is the best way to go about doing that like do these christians in india know not know how the internet works and that this is the best way to market this movie and make sure as many people as possible watch it like do they not know that like like, do they do they actually had a hope that oh yeah, if we get the court to block it, this is gonna help us? People will oh yeah, the court blocked it. This means people won't watch it. Like, do where do these people live? Like, how how are they like? Are they like completely out of touch with how anything works? I don't know. Well, okay, so this made me think a couple of things. When I saw Selva Selva Kumar in the live chat saying that um. Uh, this is based on real events that happened in Kerala. I don't know if that's true, but if so, even more based. <laughs> Michael Sherlock is saying, so Susanna's kink is sexy Catholic murder mysteries? What would Freud conclude? <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, but to continue, one thing I thought when she was watching this, or this, this nun, she complained about um, this in the trailer. She was saying that this would demoralize Catholic nuns and priests. And the first thing I thought, and let me finish, is that I am so glad that she doesn't live in the United States. I don't know what would happen to this woman's heart and her brain if she lived in the United States. If Because what I saw in that trailer, I was like, this demoralizes nuns and priests. You should see the treatment they get here in the U.S. Like, I'm happy for you that you don't live in the U.S. Which also in turn made me think, I am so happy that the people in the U.S. who do think this way... Uh, we have constitutional rights that protect us from still like having this viewed, seen, etc. Like, I'm glad that they don't have the political power to just completely nix this kind of thing. We have uh, right. the Bill of Rights. Um, I because, I don't know, this like fragility around protecting religious sentiments is just something that's not so much a part of my culture. So it's hard for me to like appreciate how seriously like people can take something as mild as what I saw in this trailer. Okay. One thing, first of all, it's amazing to me how think how sex scenes between priests and nuns 
are considered something that defame Catholics. If anything, this is the best thing. Like how? Like this is such a sex-negative view. Like this is the best way of you know promoting Catholics. Like the only good thing about Catholics is sexy outfits and sex scenes between you know. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that is like ad- adults. The adults, okay. Um, also, if you if the court wants to block anything that defames Catholics, then block the Catholic Church in uh, India. Yeah, so many like, people on our Facebook page were saying the same thing. It was so really? funny. They were like, I would refer the authorities to the 3rd and 4th century <laughs> and the Catholic activities <laughs> during that period. Right. All right. <laughs> I was like, Tear it down. Yes. You have a point, sir. <laughs> All right, do you read this while I get the next news? Um, Random Buddhist guy is saying, it's a case where several nuns came out with sexual harassment accusations against the priests, but the matter couldn't go forward due to corruption. Ah, that would make a little bit more sense. Because, like I said... um, I don't endorse this anymore. I thought the sex scenes were consensual. Well, I I didn't understand a word that was being said. So I don't know. Um, oh, okay. Then I do. Then I do not promote anything that happened between the priest or the nuns. And them. I thought like the like there was like some you know. Well, I saw a little thing. tender, a little tender nun on nun action that seemed consensual. It seemed. I don't know. I only speak I'm, English. In this stream right now, let's go watch this. <laughs> there was nun on nun. I wait. Did you already say this and I missed it? Why didn't you lead with that? <laughs> God damn! <laughs> like what? You took it till this. You long waited this you... long. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, we have people. too much fun here. All right. Um, okay, so maybe that's where the murder mystery comes into this because it did seem like someone got killed with a crucifix falling on them. <laughs> Anyways, um, okay. Uh, yes. Can we? Can we? Can we clap for the next news? No. Uh, no, okay. Next news. Next news. Um, Indian mosque, mosque. Sorry, let me start again. Okay. Next news. Indian mosque bulldozed in defiance of court order. Um, I would like you to oh wait, it's in never mind. I was gonna make you guess where this happened, but it's in the subtitle. Okay. In Uttar Pradesh, India. Um of, of course. If of course. course. Um, on May 17th, a, in a highly inflammatory move, a local administration in the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh bulldozed a mosque defying a state uh, high court order. The mosque called uh, Masjid Garib Nawaz al-Maruf was, had stood for at least six decades and since the British rule. Uh, a local imam, uh, Malana Abdul Mustafa, who is on the mosque committee, said that local Muslims were scared and did not dare to protest when the mosque was demolished. The demolition was in violation of a high court order issued on April 24th, which stated that buildings in the state could be should be protected from any eviction or demolition until May 31st. In the following days, local Muslims said that a permanent structure was built by the administration to block access to the mosque. On March 19th, people were stopped from entering the mosque on for Friday prayers, causing protests in the area. More than 35 local Muslims who were protesting were arrested and put in jail. 
So this Wait. there's there's a lot that goes into this. And um, if someone knows more specifics about that, please tell us in the live chat. Because, so this happened over a period of months. So there was a part in around March where for whatever reason, they said that this was going to be demolished. And actually, let me pull this up because I want to get this right. Um. Just a second. And I want to find my notes. Um, so on March 15th, there was a notice about this unofficial mosque. And requesting evidence that, you know, the committee or whoever was in charge of, had permissions for this land. And they were citing a court ruling that illegal religious um, constructions can be demolished if they caused any obstructions. So what the mosque committee did is they gave a detailed response. They're like, we've had electricity here since like 1959. They're, they showed that any the mosque structures don't um, uh, cause obstruction in any way. And um, but they did not like honor that evidence, so to speak. So then three days later on March 18th, they the mosque committee went to Allahabad, the high court, citing the concerns, they're like, I think our mosque is going to face imminent demolition um, because of it being deemed like an illegal or unofficial religious structure. They're like, it's been here for, they claim hundreds of years or at least a hundred years. Um, and so upon um, getting, the court eventually ruled that no action can be taken for demolition until the 31st. Now, what's not clear to me about this is um, if, this means that, oh, on the 31st demolishing, it was totally fine. Or if this was kind of like a stay and decision, that part isn't entirely clear to me. Regardless, what ended up happening was way before the 31st on the 17th, there was just this demolition. So they like kicked people out of the mosque who were inside. And um, well, actually leading up to this, there are many days, like I said Ooh, before. Like where state authorities? Yes. Like they were building barriers for people to actually get into the mosque. And so they were barriers for people giving their Juma prayers. And this caused a lot of protests. And these protests, 35 people were arrested. Some of these people are still in jail for this protest. So that happened a few months ago. Now, this past week is when this was just demolished in defiance of this court order that said that it couldn't be demolished until the end of the month. Um, and what people weren't allowed to be anywhere near there. Is this what what court is this? This is Uttar Pradesh's high court. Yes, the state's high okay. court said that you can't demolish this until the end of the month. Wait, so you have the government versus the government. You have the court saying that you can't do this, and then you have state officials going in and demolishing it anyways. Um, uh, I believe it was more like the state versus like a district. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So state as in government officials, yes. Were yeah, they the okay. same officials who made the decision versus who did it? No. You know, different Wait. levels of government. So would they, people who did it, you said, did you mention that the people who demolished it got arrested or anything because of this is against the court order? No. No. Why not? They did this against the court order, no? Like, isn't this a violation of the law and destruction of uh, private property against the court order? Like, shouldn't they get arrested? 
Yeah, well, it seems like kind of a little bit of bureaucratic stuff. So then in a press statement, the district administration described the demolished structures as a residential complex. So they said that this is a residential construction that is illegal. Whereas previously they were saying it was an like an unofficial religious structure. Um, and so... Um, Read what Katie is saying. Katie is saying things like this is what I mean when I say the court rulings don't matter when it comes to these people. Yeah, there's a lot of really... By these people, by the way, by these people, Katie is referring to Hindutva, far-right yeah. bigots in India. But yeah, go ahead. This Especially country. in Uttar Pradesh. Um, the court has also said before, you cannot jail people for criticizing politicians, but Yogi still jails people for criticizing him. For those who Yogi. don't know, Yogi mm. Adyanath or Yogi A is the chief minister of the state. And he's yeah. a Hindu extremist. And for um, people who don't know, but are new here, Uttar Pradesh is one of... I've, I want to say one of the, but actually no, the most religious extremist um, province, state or province, state mm -hmm. in India. Um, so, and and you, this yogi guy, which is the head of it, is is one of the most bigoted anti-Muslim anti bigots. Like the things that he says, and he's very close to uh, Modi and his government. But this man, this man is like the things that he's recorded publicly saying about the Muslims. It's wild. We can't even is, say. We can't even describe it here or else we're going to, we might get a strike or something. But yeah, that guy heads the state and he doesn't really care about the law. Like the way he treats Muslims in his state, it, it violates India's own laws. So it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think um, it's worth highlighting that this state, Uttar Pradesh, has. Katie, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it is the most populous state in India. And it has one of the highest populations of Muslims within India. Which is coincidentally, unfortunately, one of the states where they are the most persecuted, the most demonized, the most vilified. Um, and um, so a lot of people are saying like this is a highly inflammatory move. Um, and what you're seeing here on the screen is not only did they demolish this mosque, but then they then dumped the the rubble and the remains into the river. Which I feel like is just like putting salt in the wound. Like you can't even recover what's left because mm. we just threw it in the river. Um, and um, there was something else I wanted to highlight. Oh, yes. So this is really important, and this is going to get into um, the a little bit of detail and minutia that I'm not as familiar with, but it's important for the bigger picture. So Uttar Pradesh, so this the district where this mosque is located is adjacent to Adio, I always say it wrong, Adioha, um, which is the mythical birthplace of Lord Ram or Rama which is like the Hindu nationalist, like, I don't even know how to describe how important like Lord Rama is as a mythological figure, um, as a, as an object of worship, like to the hin Hindu nationalist. Like it's, it's, it's so extreme the way that they feel about Lord Rama. So this is, this mosque is located very close to that area. And in this area of Adiyah, <laughs> um, 
this is where this mosque, this Barbary mosque was located before it was demolished in 1992. Now, this is a highly contentious move that has been the source of so much communal tension, so much communal hatred, so much um, conflict and just really severe consequences to the demolition of this mosque where Hindus say that Lord Rama was born. And there's been lots of legal cases that have gone into the demolition of this mosque. But people are saying that the demolition of this mosque is one of the most inflammatory moves that have happened since the demolition of the Barbary Mosque in 1992. So why is it not getting more coverage? I guess because maybe this is kind of, to a Western audience, this seems like kind of a niche issue like oh we're fighting over the land where it's, it's rumored that a hindu god was born like i think it's not perceived as very relevant to um right like Re our audience uh chihaya saying you mean ayodhya thank you <laughs> I can never say right. Lord Rom is important mostly to people in UP and the surrounding states. We yeah, it's should... I would definitely emphasize its importance in that region, but it does have a through line of being very important to Hindu nationalists in general. I mean, it's all over their propaganda. Mm. But is it particularly heavy in that region? Sure. Oh, and Katie is answering my question about, or my claim about it being the most populous state and regarding its Muslim population. Katie is saying, the Muslim population of the state is the same as the population of Argentina. Right. It is the most populous state with two-thirds of the U.S. population in one state that is the most extremist religious state in the country. So, like, right. so I, and I say that just to highlight to people who are not aware, like, how high these stakes are. Right, so Uttar Pradesh has 43 million. That's not the population of Uttar Pradesh. That's the population of the minority Muslim population of Uttar Pradesh. So there are 43 million Muslims living in the one of the most anti-Muslim far-right extremist provinces, like states in the whole world. Like, play <laughs> yes. again, guys, 43 million is the not not the there's the population of Uttar Pradesh is only 20% Muslim. And this 20% is 43 million people. Okay? And these 43 million people are living under an extremist anti-Muslim bigoted fascist regime under Yogi with with very, very with a lot of popular support against Muslims. Imagine like What's the population of Gaza? Gaza. Um, two like, million. I think right, it's two yeah, million. Two million. Okay, we're Ooh, talking I'm forty-three million. We're talking about forty-three million Muslims here. So if you, if you care about far-right fascism and far-right bigotry, and oppression of people, right? Globally, this is something that you might want to pay attention to. What's happening in not in? We're not even talking about India as a whole. We're talking about just one of the states in India. Look at the astronomical numbers, like that we're talking here. It's insane that this is not getting more coverage, given the number of lives of the number of people who are being affected by it. Well, and also, I mean, not to always go back to this point, but just in terms of like the Muslim Ummah. 
like everything is not obviously a complete calculation of just like who has more people where in terms of what issues we care about but it's uh, it's so severe oh and katie is saying a lot of the shia muslims in uh uttar pradesh actually vote for the bjp which is the ruling party of the region and um the country not sure if stockholm syndrome or just to spite the sunnis i think that's a that's a very interesting point hmm. um uh Chihaya is saying there's also castes among Muslims. Caste dynamics among Muslims make matters even more complicated in India. Only a skilled leader with a sense of reality can rule India's states. No, it is, it is very um complicated. I feel like there was something else I wanted to say. Um yeah, I know I think the whole issue with the Barbary mosque, like I can see people in the live chat arguing back and forth about what came before. There was a temple that was destroyed. And then people have been like fighting over this area of land, like for centuries, I find it very similar to kind of this fight over Jerusalem actually. Um, and so I don't, I, I, that the whole history of it is not something I'm extremely familiar with. So I don't want to get into that specifics, but I just wanted to say that to give people a larger, um, uh, idea of why this is such contested land and why this is so inflammatory specifically in this area um so yes i it's, it'll be interesting to see if the people who did this are going to be prosecuted in any way but i would not hold my breath you're muted how many eager muslims do we have as a whole as a whole, I'm not sure. I know that the numbers in terms of who are mm -hmm. actively in detainment no, are no, no, no. around at over 1 million, possibly mm -hmm. 2 million. I'm not sure about the actual population in the broader Xinjiang region. Because the broader mm -hmm. Xinjiang region is basically, I mean, uh, there's, there's, it's very high surveillance, extremely high surveillance. Um, so it affects way more people than just the people who are actually detained. I think 12 million, 12 million, right? So if we compare Gaza with Uttar Pradesh and Uyghurs in China, um, again, this is actually, I think, a very, when I compare these things, it's not to suggest that we shouldn't pay attention to the other ones, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about, like, just to give some sense to the scale of um, the number of people that are affected by it policies of governments right so if you think about okay what what israel do, does how many muslims like it impacts in a very extreme way uh or what china does how many muslims does it impact um again it's not this is not just a, a simplistic version of this comparison because the the way that their lives are affected are extremely different right so for example what china does is a lot more extreme literally putting people in concentration camps for the crime of just being Muslim. So it's the nature of the effect on people is very different. So I'm not just saying, I'm not just, when I compare these things, I'm not just saying like, so just saying one of them is worse or, um, or one of it doesn't deserve attention. Of, co of course, they all deserve attention, but I just want to put it in perspective, the scale of what's happening in India, just to promote the idea of more people paying attention to it. Okay, like the number, like mm -hmm. again, two million in Gaza. We're talking twelve million Muslims in China, in eager, eager Muslims in China, and we're talking forty-three million Muslims, not in India, but only in one state in India, right? So this is what we. we that's why India is so important to us. Mm -hmm. And Katie is saying here's something. Oh, so this is more background to the temple. So the Hindu side says that the Ram. 
uh, Nanda or temple was destroyed by Babur, the first Mughal who created the mosque on top of the demolished temple. Yeah, so we're going back to the Mughal Empire, guys. This is how far back this goes. Um, uh, right. But I also just wanted to say I'm proud of myself for remembering the population of Uttar Pradesh and uh, yeah, specifically as Muslim minority. I was like, dang. I'm Aaron is saying both India and Jerusalem were invaded by Muslim armies. So in a sense, that is similar. Yeah, but those are many years ago. I mean, that's interesting point, but... If we want to compare them, I'm mostly focusing on what this, you know, right now. And again, I'm not when I compare when I compare things, I'm not suggesting they're similar. I'm just comparing numbers for perspective. Okay. You know, people always when you compare things, people are like, oh, I mean, they're not the same. Yeah, I'm just comparing one, I'm not comparing the entire thing. I'm just comparing one aspect of it. When you have a point of reference. So for example, when Katie in the live chat was saying, okay, like other British population, Muslim population is the same as Argentina as a whole. Argentina as a whole, this, was she suggesting that they are the same? Um, Argentina and Uttar Pradesh are the same? No, it's just a point of reference for comparison so you get the sense of the scale of things, right? Um, <clears throat> all right, cool. Uh, can we clap for the next news? Yes! Oh, wow, really? I didn't. Yes. I wasn't even going to clap because I was going. I thought you were going to say no. Okay, <laughs> I guess, all right. <laughs> all right, wait, why am I, why am I not focusing? Hold on. We'll clap as soon as I'm in focus. There we go. Next news. Next news. American secular groups hold historic meeting with the White House. So this is really exciting. On May 14th, White House officials Melissa Rogers, Josh Dickinson, and Ben O'Dell met with the leaders of several members of the Secular Coalition for America. The main topic of conversation was to maintain church and state separation and equality under the law. The conversation stressed the importance of rescinding dangerous and discriminatory actions taken by the Trump administration. The atheist group suggested that the judicial nominees take a strong stances on religious equality and support those who are non-religious. The organization American Atheists talked about policies to, uh, uh, to be made to ensure that no one is rejected from shelter, adoption, or foster agency, or denied access to any other essential service due to religiously motivated discrimination. I think I have a problem that needs to go. I need to go get this checked. Wait, can you scroll okay. down though? I want you to scroll down so you see the no. photo. No, scroll down so you can see the picture of the Zoom call. There Wait, oh, if that's not in here, can you let me actually finish my point? Never mind. <laughs> yes. Like, look at this title. It seemed like such a positive title, and I and I have a problem with like I look at the title like this again. Oh, this I know is what I think. Is. I yeah, I think can people in the live chat like this is this see I, again? I think I have a problem. I need to go talk to somebody because I see this and I'm like I'm triggered. I'm tri I'm triggered. I am offended. I'm triggered. I think I have an issue. Okay. Because this is supposed to like, okay, the normal, rational, optimistic, glass half full reaction to this should be, and I acknowledge this, they're like, wow, this is so great. Look at this. They're finally acknowledging atheists. They care about us. Like, isn't this is the entire point of our activism is to for people to acknowledge our existence and try to do something to address all, you know, anti-atheist discrimination and all of that, right? This is supposed to be 
this is what this is all everything not everything a lot of what we do here is to get results like this right however however i read this title and i get triggered by the fact that there's such a thing as a white house faith office that's the fact that that's a thing i don't know it's just like what the white yeah i don't know right, guys did anybody predict that that's that that's my issue with it yeah there you go marcia faith office is because so many americans are religious okay so i'm not the only one it's not just me then huh um okay katie is saying what why no no that's not what oh that's not you thought that that's going to be my reaction why has this not happened till now no i'm actually genuinely surprised that this happened so this is not this is not something i expect like this is not something that i thought it should have happened or that i expected to happen katie guessed wrong katie thought like my my problem is going to be that oh why this only happened now no, oh. i know what your problem is yeah can me. i guess since i wasn't here when you said I, your yeah, problem is going to be that the White House has a faith office. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on top of it, you guys. Every time I see something like this, I feel like, okay, the the faith office. And who's the head of the faith office? You know what I think in my mind? I think in like Dungeons and Dragons, like you have a king and the king has a witch. Okay. So I think the most the the the, the most advanced country in the world, apparently the president, where is everything. The system is so backward that the head of the country has like a spiritual, like a, I don't know, magic, a magic man. The president of the United States of America needs a magic man to talk about magic related stuff to the president. Advise me on magic stuff. Protect this land spiritually. Put a shield around this country. Do your magic prayer stuff. Talk to some, I don't know, your sky overlord to protect this land. And make sure that we are we have good ties with other spiritual witch doctors of I don't know Jewish or Christian and Muslim and Hindu. Like make sure your your brand of magic is like in harmony with other people's brand of magic, so mm -hmm. that this mm -hmm. country is at peace. That's what it is. This is Dungeons and Dragons stuff. That's what it is. It's uh, yeah. I don't know. I it's, it's weird. It's weird that we're here. <laughs> King, Yay, yes, wait, exactly. I found what I was looking for. Wait, I want to bring it on the screen. King Arthur and Merlin. That's exactly what this is. Yes. Oh, look at this. Aaron is saying, Do you guys do you folks have an email address where I can rant against Armin's stupid takes? Yes, I want you to keep burning uh, and being triggered. So go to atheistrepublic.com, go to the contact us page. And send us an email there and make sure it's very, very, very long. So when I don't read it and I just archive it, I could laugh out loud when I you spend so much time submitting an email and I didn't spend a second reading it and I just archived it. It would it would make it would make my day. Just go send us an email and I'll make sure to I'll make sure to look for it so I could spend some time ignoring it so I could sit okay. and laugh about how much time you wasted sending it to us. So I like this. This was a screenshot of the meeting. And here I can fangirl over some people who I think do great work. Like here we have, whoops, Mohammed Syed from XMNA, ex-Muslims of North America, um, contributed to this. 
as well as you know people from uh, Anne Maria Gaylor and uh, shoot Dan Parker from uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation and Andrew Seidel from Freedom from Religion Foundation. So yeah, I was mainly fangirling over Muhammad Side there. Not even gonna nice. lie. Um, yeah, and wait, so bring it back. That's wait, great, guys. I, I wanted support. to read something. I'll have to okay, share a different tab. Sorry. Uh, That's great. Okay, That's, the, the XMNA is look at look at this. XMNA is involved in, with the White House. That's awesome. Just to rebrand that thing, then rebrand that. You know, okay. So whatever this office is, it seems to be doing good work. Just name it something else. I don't know. Faith office. God damn it. Um. So I wanted so ex Muslims in North America had a um, press release that they put on their website about their participation oh. in this, and I wanted to highlight some uh, aspects of it. Um, so Sarah Levin, public affairs associate for XMNA, stated, uh, "We are absolutely opposed to the dehumanization of people, including Muslims, and we are absolutely opposed to silencing criticism." even offensive criticism of ideas, including religion. Efforts to redefine hate speech to include criticism of religion is the new frontier of blasphemy law. And this was the first meeting of ex-Muslims with the White House. Wow, that's impressive. And they say, we are optimistic that it represents the start of many fruitful discussions between the Biden administration and our coalition. Uh, okay, we, is, our continued collaboration will undoubtedly further the rights of Americans and non-American ex-Muslims alike. Wow, that's some awesome. These are and also these are the best organizations to pick. I'm so impressed. Like they pick atheists, they, they pick the Freedom from Religion Foundation. So and look, Andrew Seidel is there, um, Annie is there, and but they they took they picked an ex-Muslim the the the. the I was going to say Maine, but maybe the only uh, ex-Muslim organization in the United States, like, they didn't even do PC, they didn't even go PC with it. They didn't just go with, like, Christian, you know, ex-Christian, mainly ex-Christian organization. They brought the ex-Muslim organization at the White House to represent ex-Muslims. That's freaking amazing. I think the White, the Biden administration is just trying to make it challenge, because we promised people to criticize the Biden administration, they're just trying to make it so that we can't keep that promise. Like this is bad. Like I, I hope Biden <laughs> actually does some really horrible things so that we can keep our Armin, promise. Right? <laughs> why would you say that? We promise people to criticize the Biden administration when they do something stupid. But we need to be able. Like I, I hope they do some. Anyways, anyways. So you see, Anne, Anne over there from Freedom from Religion Foundation. I'm gonna take this opportunity to brag about the fact that no. Anne gave me this book. And wait, oh my god, what is that? You said you're, you're fangirling over there, and I can't do it when I have a book. <laughs> okay, fair. That, oh my god, yourself, yourself, like, look at this. You're like, oh, I'm fangirling. Well, do you have a book signed by Anne? Look at this, guys. No. This is a book. Woe, woe to, woe to the woman. The Bible tells me so. Uh, the Bible, female sexuality, and the law. This is by Annie Gaylor, and look what she signed. Thank you for to me. Thank you for Anne signed this. This is Anne's. And she's saying, thank you for founding our atheist republic. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Look at this. Look oh at my this. God. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but uh XMA highlighted highlighted something else that I thought was 
really important. And I really appreciated them for highlighting this. Um, uh, XMNA urged the Biden administration to be mindful of the underrepresentation of atheists and non-religious among those granted refugee status in the United States. According to Pew Research, only 1% of refugees in the United States accepted in 2016 were religiously unaffiliated. Whereas the most recent United States Commission on International Religious Freedom Report shows that atheists are the third most persecuted religious minority in the world. They actually acknowledge this? They're actually acknowledging this? At the highest officials? Yeah, name's going hard. I freaking, I love it. This is why I fangirl. This is the first time. This is the first time atheists are being heard to such a high level. Yes, this is why I said it was a historic meeting with the White House. Okay, this is pretty good. This is pretty amazing. This is like a new precedent. Wow. See, I won you aren't, over. We won you over. Aren't you guys, uh, guys, happy that you voted uh, Trump out? Like, are you guys like not happy? Like, is this not? Mm. Is this not great? Does it not feel good? It feels good. I'm not even American, and I feel I'm, I'm proud of you guys. You guys did it. You guys actually managed to make a less than dumb decision for once. Like, anyways. All right, that's good. That's good. That's really, guys. That's historic. That's like a major. That's major. I don't have. Wait, have we had any government, let alone the most powerful country in the world, ever? Acknowledge anti-atheist discrimination to such a to such a high level. Like this seems like a major. Uh, I don't step. know. This is not a step forward. This is like a giant leap forward, isn't it? Okay, well, I, I don't know if the White House acknowledged that so much as having a meeting with people who were very vocal about it. I call it acknowledgement. Okay, okay I'm with it. Hey, I'm, I'm <laughs> all the way there. Um. Uh, ex, uh, Michael Sherlock is saying, I think the new obsession with identity politics got ex-Muslims in the door. So I guess there are pros to the problems with obsessing on identity politics. There's nothing I disagree. Wrong. XMNA has been doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Hmm. Um, so I think there was a lot more that went into this. Yeah, and I also don't have an issue with identity politics as a whole. There's right and wrong ways to use identity politics, right? Exactly. Identity politics is is okay if you say, "Hey, my identity is under attack. Please protect me." That's the correct way of using identity politics. Identity politics is wrong when you use it in this way. Hey, this is my identity. Please give me more privileges compared to other people. Give me more rights or privileges compared to the other people. That's the wrong way to use identity politics. But if you are not the, if you are bringing your identity to, to attention, not because you want to, but because other people have forced you, because other people are targeting your identity, then you have no choice but to play identity politics because you need your identity. Your identity is being used like a target on your back. Okay, so that is the in those situations, like the the extreme. I know this is the extreme example that I'm giving all the time. Is that imagine if you're like a Jewish person under in Germany during World War II, two comes down comes to your door and knocks on your door, like, hey, the SS is looking for me. Can I please hide in your basement? If you tell that person, like, I don't care that you're a Jew. Why are you paying identity politics with me? That makes no sense, okay? That person is not the, making their identity in their issue. Other people are, okay? Anyways. Okay, okay, okay. Um, 
Can we clap for the next news? Yes. Yes. Next news. Uh, one second. I need to find my notes. Ah. Next news. Oh, you're out of focus again. Okay, let's try this one more time. Can I get you to clap with me? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Next news. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> AR CEO Susanna to speak with Arabic YouTuber Critical Faculty. So this is cool. I just was, eh, sorry, words. I wanted to let you guys know that next week I will be speaking with um, Critical Faculty. And I'm pretty excited about this. So um, I will be discussing secular morality with him. And um, I'm excited about this because Critical Faculty is um, an ex-Muslim YouTuber. And he's really passionate about, um, you know, trying to help the Middle East, you know, come into the Enlightenment era. Um, and... Uh, what I think is really cool about what he does is he does broadcasts in both Arabic and English, but then he has his English episodes translated into Arabic so wow. that English speaking atheists can reach the Muslim and Arabic world or Arabic speaking world. So I think that's a really cool project. Uh, oh, that takes a lot of work. That's yeah. Very with, impressive. Holy crap. With uh Hany Salim. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm excited. So this will be happening uh, next week on uh, May 29th. And um, if you guys want to see, it will be happening. Um, I put a link to the description in, sorry, a link to this video where we will be doing this in the description. So just go down to the bottom and um, check it out tune in and good and yeah this will be well, this will be live and go check out critical faculty he has a lot of interviews with really cool people and a lot of other um talks that are scheduled coming up that look awesome too i i went to his channel and i saw that the day after me he's having on thomas sheedy from atheist for liberty and then like a few days after that he's having on zara k <laughs> so this guy has got some bangers um wait we can still see everything I know. I'm just showing people that they need. No, no, no. I'm showing people to go and share share this video. Like, go do this. It's really easy. See how? Go and promote this live stream. I want Susanna to do more interviews like this. So uh -huh. I'm also sharing it on Facebook. There we go. That's me. Oh, yes. and AGA posted a link in the live chat. If you guys just oh, want to follow that link and then, you know, put the thing where you like, give me a reminder. Oh, look, you already have it. people in the live chat cheering you on over there already. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it's like in five days and you have somebody already saying, Susanna, yeah. I didn't realize I had fans like that. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, go, go. When this interview happens, go there and cheer on Susanna. Um, show her that she has a lot of support. Go oh, and someone is asking me, will it be in Arabic? No, it'll be in English. How badass would it be if really I could speak fluent Arabic this whole time? Yeah. And I didn't tell anyone except for this interview? <laughs> no, but it will be translated in Arabic. Guys, actually, yeah. that's really this channel. If if they're actually translating English interviews into Arabic, 
that's a very valuable service. Like that, go, go show this channel some support. Yeah, because... and he has, um, or if you're more proficient, if you're more fluent in Arabic, um, you can go see interviews he's done with Lawrence Krauss, Dan Barker, Seth Andrews, Aaron Rahr, David Silverman. These are all, you know, like pretty prominent atheists that he he's gotten to talk to. So if you would like to see that in Arabic, um, go check out his channel. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad that Susanna is getting more recognition she's getting invited to more panels and stuff she has like a lot of information like even I sometimes even though I know a lot of her information sometimes when we're talking she says something like how does she know this like the yeah so the level of knowledge and you know and also compassion that she has is pretty impressive she's such a valuable to the secular movement and I, everywhere she goes and works with other people in other groups like another like she goes and represents atheist republic and she works with other secular and humanist institutions and as soon as as soon as she starts working with them they see how valuable she is and they keep wanting Aww. to bring her back and work with her more so she, it's really good like yeah so i'm glad that people are recognizing that i keep on inviting her Aww. it's not just it's not the speech it's not just the speeches that she gives or like her opinions that are so valuable she actually also like management organization behind the scenes uh, planning um you know when she works with you know people like mariam namazi or if she works with mama sayed like I, I i hope they keep reaching out to her for other stuff as well yeah oh my heart <laughs> um yeah, well, I love our community and I put a lot of work into it. And um, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I love my team and I love our community. I couldn't do, I couldn't do most of what I do without like the support of our community. Oh, Michael Sherlock is saying Susanna has a weapon. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, people think I'm all cute or they like when I'm angry until I'm angry at them. And then they're like, ah! <laughs> um, uh, but I also want to tease that uh, next week I have a, uh, well, maybe not next week, but I have another big speaking engagement coming up Ooh. that I'm going to have to tease. So I'm, I'm going to just like leave you guys with a little cliffhanger because I'm going to have to announce that later. And it's something that I'm a little bit nervous for. Um, okay, here's a here's actually let's end this on this comment. Marcia is saying CEO, CEOs need money, Armin. Yes, exactly. And we do pay C, uh, Susanna, but we don't pay her enough to be able for her to completely quit her job and focus on Atheist Republic. So if you want us to pay Susanna more so she could quit everything else she's doing and do only Atheist Republic, become a patron. Link in the description. Become a patron so we could pay. Hashtag pay, pay Susanna. Become a patron and you will help us and give her a raise and then that would be amazing because I can't imagine where Atheist Republic is going to head when Susanna finally works full time for Atheist Republic and that would be to I don't the know, stars. We we're taking Atheist Republic we're taking AR to, to the, the moon, moon. <laughs> to the moon and if you're poor if you're poor please don't support don't us support, financially yeah. don't support us financially i have good news if you're poor i have good news the good news is not that you're not going to be poor you're going to probably remain poor however the good news is that we have free art you don't have to become a patron 
You don't have to support us financially. Do not support us financially if you're poor. You're an idiot. Maybe that's why you're poor. Maybe that's why you're poor. If you're Armin, poor and you, this no, is wait. why we don't grow. <laughs> if you are poor and you have considered to find support us financially, even though you're poor, that's probably why you're poor. So do Armin. not support. No, do not support us financially. Keep your money. Save your money. If you're poor, do not support us financially. Get our art. We have art for free. If you subscribe to our newsletter for free, which is free, you get all our art for free. And after you get all our art for free, you better email us telling us to stop sending you so much free art because our art is just so good that is we are insane. Me and Susanna must have lost our mind that we are sending so much juicy, beautiful art for free to all our newsletter subscribers. So if you don't email us and tell us to stop, that means you don't care about us because it's obviously we're obviously out of our mind that we're giving you so much free blasphemous art. Get our blasphemous art for free and tell us to stop. It's too good. It's too much. We're spoiling you. Subscribe. Link in the description. And become a patron oh if you're not God. poor. All right, guys. Talk oh, guys my God. <laughs> All right, guys. I can't stand you. You. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>